This is Clock or Counter. I'm James Wiseman, and with me, no. <laughs> that, <laughs> I was that looking. I should have kept that. Level. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that that is your cold open right there. This is Clock or Counter. I'm Ryan Young, and with me is James Wiseman. So today we're going to talk about the judging system, but before that. Let's get an update from the new Jammers or the new Jammer Diaries from Duke. So before we get the new Jammer Diaries, we have a little bit of a non sequitur to the new Dota Player Diaries. So Ryan, you're very closely following my progress in Dota. Last week, I told you that my Dota rating was 970, which is very, very low. But I took this whole week, I practiced really hard, I watched some YouTube guides, and now I'm 720. <laughs> so I, I have lost MMR. I'm now in the lowest possible category of players. I'm somehow worse than last week and worse than when I started. Well, now the only way to go is up. <laughs> you would think so, but I see <laughs> 720 points available to lose. <laughs> I could be a zero-rated Dota player by the end of the month. Then you'll be on the Jenkins episode. There's always an upside. All right. Well, I hope I'm featured as one of the worst Dota players in the world. But let me give you my new Jammer Diary. So as you know, we have a lot of new players at Duke University who are really fired up. And there were three different things that happened in the last week that really amused me that I wanted to share with people. So the first is that there's a new catch that Brendan and Macy came up with called Fortress. And it's basically a figure four hooping goddess with some monstrous qualities. So it's really hard to describe. I won't try to do it. But the point is, it's very entangled. It requires a lot of balance and a lot of flexibility. So I tell another new freestyler, Heath, about Fortress and he thinks about it for a couple seconds and he looks me and he looks me in the eye and says, well, that leads to the obvious question. Can you barrel it? So, so <laughs> Heath, always looking ahead, if you tell him there's a new catch, he's going to ask, how can you turn that into a barrel catch? So kudos to Heath. My next story is one of our newest players, a freshman named Aiden. He probably plays once or twice a week. He's got the delay pretty good, and he's been working on some other good moves, but he's very much a beginner. But this week, he had one move that was a hundred times better than anything else he had ever done before. It would be like if suddenly I played a 9,000 rated MMR Dota game. I mean, he, <laughs> he hit like five consecutive moves into this crazy, like spinning double leg over catch, and I just started laughing. I just couldn't even believe what had happened. It's like I one of my daydreams is if I could go back in time to my first year of freestyling and just show up to the Sheep Meadow and just play at 12 years of skill level to all the players and they just be like, what happened to you? Like this is incredible. That's what happened. Just for one move. Like he made a <laughs> wish to a genie and got one pro level move. He just busted it out and hit it. And then my last new jammer diary is and you'll especially appreciate this, Ryan. We busted out one of the new Sky Stylers with a new plastic. It's a little bit more saturated yellow. It's not so see-through. And I was explaining that it was new plastic to one of the newest, newest, newest freestylers just learning the delay. I throw him the disc. He tries the delay. And he goes, huh, 
this disc feels a little bit heavier than the other discs. <laughs> I was like, okay, so clearly it's just me. Like every other freestyler has the incredible ability to tell the difference between 163 and 164 gram disc. But even new players, it turns out, can tell the weight of the Frisbee just by feeling it. Maybe it's, you're not colorblind, you're like weight blind. Yes, I was think I had that exact same thought in my head. Like maybe I'm weight blind and everyone else can just perceive this thing that's beyond my grasp. <laughs> that's funny. Well, that sounds amazing. I hope they'll still be playing when I finally make it out there. I am sure they will be. But with that, let's turn to the opposite end of the spectrum. So not new players, but experienced players competing at the highest level using the FPA judging system. So Ryan, I guess I'm gonna hand the floor to you. Tell me what we're talking about today why it's important and what our goals are. Okay, so today we're talking about the judging system. I think specifically about a lot of the complaints that we hear at like the party and online and like about the results from this last worlds. Mm -hmm. And I like have a bunch of notes that I'll just kind of talk through. And then I think looking at your notes, we'll talk a lot about the process of how the judging system was made. It's like a pretty important part. Yeah, and I think part of this, at least for me, is to focus on misconceptions about the judging system and not necessarily even the current system, just about judging systems in general, like what people think is happening that's sometimes a little bit off base. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think the main purpose of this talk is uh, like before Worlds, you give your 30-minute talk, but there's more than 30 minutes of details and we need like three hours to really talk about all the different points and why each point is important. And if that sounds crazy, it's because it is. And so hopefully it'll give like, people will understand after listening why yeah. it's so hard. And who knows how long this will take or how many parts this will take. But if you think the three hours or so we might talk about it now is long, imagine the dozens or hundreds of hours that have gone into building this system and the system before it. And for better or worse, all the thought that goes into the judging systems for freestyle frisbee. Yeah. Okay, so my first thing in my notes is a Dota reference. So when Dota puts out two patches a year and they change the game like in a medium level just to keep the game fresh, but when they are released, people will spend eight hours analyzing just the first takes of all the changes. Like that's how complicated systems are. So like our system. Well, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's sit back. Cause not a lot of people know about this. So if people don't know, Ryan, you are a video game designer by profession. So you work at, I don't even want to say we work at, you work at a big tech company making super fancy games. You're super high level. You know, a lot of things that other people don't know, but in the video game world, they don't just make a video game now, put it out, and that's the game for the next five years. They put it out and they make regular changes called patches. And a lot of the changes are about balancing the game. So if you have, if, if you imagine just a really simple game where you have, you know, a couple players on each side that are picking characters and items and building and trying to make their character better, the game has to be balanced so that one character isn't overpowered or one character isn't too weak. And they're constantly making adjustments to the balance. And they're also making some adjustments to keep the game new and exciting, right? Yep. And one question I have for you, Ryan, how often do they put out a patch thinking they've balanced the game, 
before they quickly realize that they made a mistake and something is really broken and have to fix it. That's every patch. So it's built into the patch process. <laughs> like that's just the expected outcome of releasing a patch. Yeah, because it's a moving target, right? So you make a change because you think it's going to balance the game, but maybe something you didn't expect. There's a consequence that you don't expect that opens up that makes another part of the game unbalanced. So you keep iterating and iterating to make those changes to keep the game fair. But, and this is kind of important, you never totally get there. You're always making adjustments. And sometimes you're getting closer, sometimes you're not. But you just have to make those changes. Yeah, I think we're getting ahead, but I'm going to like elaborate. A lot of times you make changes that are sideways just to keep things fresh. Like those are valid changes. Like a lot of times you'll have a rule set that was working perfectly for two years and you'll change it just because it's healthy for the system to change like that and for people to adapt and grow like that. That's like important to understand that that's why changes happen, even though you already have the perfect system. Yeah. So we're talking a little bit about the process here and making changes, but maybe we should go back to the beginning to remind people what's the story behind the new FPA judging system, which by the way, we've been calling new for about five years now. It's maybe we should call it the current judging system. Like what's its story? Cause I, I think I know bits of it. I, I, in theory, I should know all of it, but honestly, I've forgotten a lot of it. But I think I know the big contours, but I want to hear your understanding of it because I think you were more involved than anybody. Yeah, so the, I think the, yeah, the start, I think came from the switch from paper to electronic. So that's where it began. That was like the first bit of it because what happened was when I was implementing the electronic version of the 2019 system, it was, it was hard. Like for one, like having, wait, what's the 2019 okay. system? Do okay. you mean the old judging system? The old judging system. Okay. I'm going to refer to the old judging system as 2019 and the new one as 2020. Cause that's generally how patches. It's like the easiest way to keep track of versions is dates because everyone knows how dates work and they're all always chronological. I don't know. I think, I think you might confuse people. I might just say you, the old judging system and the new or current judging system. Okay. That will be fine until we make the 2021 or 2022 judging system. And they'll be fair, en fair enough. But right now okay. we have an old and we have a new. Okay. So in the old system, just like take the diff sheet, you'd have 15 blocks and you'd like write one number in each block. And on paper, it's very easy to just like make 15 blocks in a row. But on a computer screen, that's really hard. Like the blocks get really tiny and people have a hard time seeing things on screens. And so we were like, why don't, since we're switching over to electronic calculations, and everything entering, why don't we also update the rules to match what computers are good at? And that was the origin and like the idea of the first like new judging system. Okay, fair. So... I'm going to add some detail and I'm going to go even more basic. So there were definitely complaints about the old system, particularly that execution was overvalued, which we can talk about and difficulty was undervalued. I also think there were some theoretical complaint or theoretical issues with how the old system worked. Like it was designed with certain assumptions that turned out not to be true that required some math that people didn't understand. 
And so it wasn't until much, much later that we realized that, you know, we had like a whole category difficulty that actually had no value. Um, but I do think part of the story is that you built an electronic system to match the old system so that we wouldn't have to do the very difficult hours and hours of time consuming work of turning people's paper sheets into scores. Um, yeah, the so data you, entry. Yeah. So you create an electronic system to do that. But while doing that, you thought there's a better way to do this. We can take advantage of the power of computers to do some more interesting things and solve some of the problems with paper. And I also think just from my perspective, you were just fired up and you thought, I want to do something different. But, <laughs> and here's the next thing that I think is worth going into. And I want to be careful here because I don't think I know all the details of this and I'm not sure you do either. And we could get some of this wrong, but there was a, pol a political process to this too, right? So it wasn't just that you got to say, I'm going to make a new judging system and it's going to be whatever I want. There was this whole thing called the FPA and the board and its members and getting some consensus on making those changes. So do you want to talk about that at all? And what's the shortest way and fairest way we can explain it? Okay. I think the sh most concise way is who has authority or who owns the judging system? Because it's not me and it's not the committee. So who owns it? And that is kind of unknown. And without knowing who owns it, it's hard to make changes because you can't get permission, basically, to change anything. Yeah. So we're we're all operating in like this very like make a change and then well, I don't know what happens. Yeah. But what actually happened though, right. Or no, I shouldn't say what actually happened, but the, the process became whether it was right or wrong was there was meetings, there was surveys, there was some voting and there was kind of this amorphous, confusing decision that I think everyone is still uncomfortable with where we decided, and I use we as, the FPA or the FPA membership, <laughs> we decided to move forward with a quote unquote new judging system, but it had to be based in and have some faithfulness to the old judging system. And I think a lot of the fighting now is about whether the new judging system strays too far from the old judging system, whether it doesn't stray far enough from the old judging system. But in any case, every category in the new judging system was a category in the old judging system. Just some of the calculations for those categories or how they're separated or how they're distributed among the judges changed, right? Yes. And I'm not going to bore everyone with the details of how like every change from the old system to the new system, but I do think there's a lot of new players who don't know the old system very well. So the shortest version is the old system was difficulty, execution, and artistic impression. And the artistic impression category included music, teamwork, flow, form, general impression, and maybe one other that I'm forgetting. And, and variety, sorry, that's a big one. And so that's the old system, three categories, and AI included a lot of the categories you're familiar with now. And under the new system, we have difficulty, but it's calculated in a new way. Variety is now its own category for, <laughs> a, there's a long history of variety that we might go into, we might not. Uh, artistry is now a couple of the categories from artistic impression, music, teamwork, and I already forgot the other category, I always do. Um, and then execution is still its own category. 
And now general impression is kind of its own category as well, right? Yep. Okay, cool. So I think that's the process part of things, but I do want to point out one part about the process because the lawyer in me cares about it. The FPA is a nonprofit. It's represented by a board that's elected by the members, but that board has the power to do basically whatever it wants for the FPA. So the FPA runs the FPA worlds. It can make whatever judging system it wants to. All it needs is the board to decide to do that. And although the board does a pretty good job of, I think, you know, at least trying to reach out to members, it can't please everybody. Um, it's not a pure democracy. Sometimes the board just has to get things done. And sometimes the board can't do all the work. It's a volunteer board. And so they make committees to delegate that work to. And that's all very normal nonprofit board stuff that I think we should be sympathetic to and understand that we're working in a volunteer system where everyone's just putting in their free time to make all this work. Okay. Okay. So where do you want to start on the substance of the new judging system? I wasn't even going to go into the substance yet. I still have like qualifiers. Okay. Hit me with your qualifiers. Okay. The first one is making rule sets is super hard and it's unintuitively hard. It's like everyone has a human body, but not everyone does doctor things. It's like, I wouldn't do like operations on someone just because I have a, like I'm a human. Like it's really unintuitive how hard it is to make game rules because everyone has ideas. And one of the biggest things you'll learn is like idea, good ideas can come from anyone. The hard part is filtering out and deciding which ideas are good and which ideas are bad because every idea sounds good in your own head. Okay, and that well, makes the process, yeah. Let's step back. What's a rule set? Like, what do you mean by rule set? So like a judging system or you generate a bunch of just rules on paper. So that's our competition manual. And then you do your action or like our competition based on those rules and like based on what happens and based on the rules, you like generate something, a score. Okay, so like, and so the listeners here know, I have no idea what you're talking about. We didn't plan any of this. So this is gonna be all on the fly and hopefully I follow you. But if I don't follow you, it's almost a good thing. So is an example, I know what you mean. Like the competition manual is a rule set and we have like at least- Yeah, the like simplest example is like a board game. Like think about making a board game. Like everyone's played Monopoly and like mm -hmm. you have that pamphlet of rules. Like someone wrote, someone came up with those rules and someone came up with the board like that system. Well, it's, and that makes perfect sense to me. And then I think mm -hmm. maybe the easiest rule set to explain in the freestyle judging system is execution, right? So we have a rule set that's basically like something like a drop is a 0.3, something less than that is a 0.2, and something less than that is a 0.1, mm -hmm. right? And yep. even just saying it out loud, you can see it's really hard to say, well, how do we define the infinitely varied universe of mistakes and convert those mistakes into measurable results, right? Yeah. Like that's that's like just taking execution, which we all think of as the simplest category. Even that's really hard. Let's convert all the kinds of mistakes you can make and turn them into numbers so that we can rank teams. Exactly. And it doesn't go that well. People fight about it all the time. I mean, just today, Matt Gothier, Ed Oturi and I were doing commentary on a preliminary round of the world championship 
and there was a move where Andre Cervera hits a beautiful double spinning barrel guidance, perfect execution in every sense except one. Sets it perfectly, gets his double spins perfectly, catches it perfectly. But the moment he catched the moment he caught the disc, the disc also hit the ground. And Matt asked me, what execution error would you give that? And I was kind of like, I don't know if I would give that an execution error. <laughs> and, and he even said to me, like, well, I think in the old manual, you're supposed to give that an execution error. Execution error. And just to be honest, I wasn't sure and I was embarrassed that I didn't remember what was in the old competition manual, <laughs> especially as someone who just edited it. So I didn't really say anything. But like, that's a good example. Like, some people perceive that as a drop, others don't. And my last version of that is when I first started playing Ultimate again, I had a catch like that. And I just kept playing and everyone was like, what are you doing? That's a turnover. And I was like, really? Like, why is it's, it a turnover? <laughs> see, Ultimate has a good definition that's very easy to spot in real time. Ah, okay. Well, okay. We're going to have a bunch of tangents here. So I want to talk to you about this because you and okay. I see this very differently. You, I think, have a much more, like, I don't know what the right word is, but you see things through the lens, I think, of a game designer and you want a lot of clarity in your rules. And I'm much more open to nuance so and maybe that i'm putting it like too unfairly but you like things that are easily measurable and you can just be like that's this and that's not and i'm more willing to be like well like it depends and 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 this the lawyer in me is very familiar with this because this is a constant battle and the law of like the speed limit is a rule if you go over the speed limit you lose but we don't have to have speed limits instead we could say you have to drive safely and then, and then we'd have a question of like, well, like, is it safe? Is it not? So like in the legal community, there's tons and tons of literature about, they call it like rules versus standards. And rules are very clear. You can tell yes, no, did you violate this rule? Standards are very vague, like be safe, be reasonable. Things like that are standards. But then other things are rules, like stop at a stop sign. like Don't go on red, go on green, things like that. Okay. I'm just going to add to this. So like one thing you learn when working in games is like, because things are so complex, you have to keep things simple to reduce the unexpected outcome, like the number of unexpected outcomes. And so the reason why ultimate has such a specific drop rule is because people will abuse anything that's ambiguous. And I think that's, we'll get to this later, but that's a big part of competition is breaking the system. And you want, you want to have high level player or you want to have like the top tier trying to break the system to get an advantage. Like, I think that's healthy for the system. Yeah. And here's another thing we disagree about. Or, and although I'm coming more around your view than I have been in the past, but you have a strong view that it's okay to have a system that, and I don't like the word abuse because I think it's really misleading, but you're fine if the system favors certain things and people can figure out what those things are and take advantage of them. Whereas I care a lot more about having a neutral system where different kinds of things can thrive, right? Yes. And we can have a whole debate episode just on this one point. I know. I think this will be fodder for a lot of future episodes and we're leaving room to talk more about the digital system. But I want to add one extra point to what you just said because this is, again, I'm really liking this conversation because it fits... It's like, it feels like law school to me. But in the rules versus standard debates, we talk about that a lot. So like a rule, a disadvantage of it is if the speed limit's 55, everyone can go 54. 
Now put aside the real world practical implications that everyone drives like five to 10 miles per hour with the speed limit. But like, let's say there was a death penalty for violating the speed limit. Everyone would go 54. So one problem, one perceived problem of a rule is that it tells exactly, it tells people exactly how bad they can be and then they're safe. Whereas a standard, depending on what it is, it can be an advantage that people don't know exactly where the line is. And so they're more careful about getting close to it, if that makes sense. That makes sense. But I would say that still exists between the rules. Like there's more than one rule. And if they're all simple, there's space where they intersect where that that can happen. Give me an example. What do you mean? It's like if the speed limit's 55 on a road, I can take that next right turn at 54 miles an hour and be okay. I didn't break the speed limit. Yeah, but but you're pointing out that that would be incredibly dangerous in certain situations. (laughs) Fair, fair. Okay, so just big picture. So the first thing you're mentioning is that these kinds of systems are really complicated. Making rule sets is really complicated. And the interactions between rules is really complicated. So basically what you're telling me is it's really hard to build a judging system. Yeah. It's it's harder than you think, even after you take into account how hard it is to build. It's one of those rules. Yeah, totally fair. So what else do you got for me today? Okay. Uh, Let me see if we got all the... I wonder if we talked enough about how hard it is to build because it's harder than that. I can tell you a little bit from my side because I definitely have less experience with this kind of thing. And my big picture story of being part of this process is that at the beginning of this, I was, I think, much more antithetical to your views. And I was kind of like, why why are you making this so hard? Like, Why do you believe X, Y, and Z? And now that I've looked at the data and looked at the changes and been through the process with you for five or six years, I understand where you're coming from and I see how things go wrong. So, for example we make changes that seem like a really great idea and then we test them out and they don't work. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I thought this would be easy. It's like, I, I thought if this thing that made sense in my head philosophically it would work really well in real life and it doesn't. And that's a big thing for me. Of There's lots of things that I would love to build the judging system around, but practically it turns out it's hard. So to give you an example that I think we'll come back to, because it's it's something I've changed the most on that you've really convinced me of, is everyone agrees that, I don't say everyone, a lot of people talk a lot about how important music is to freestyle and choreography is to freestyle in kind of the art of freestyle. And there's a big push by people to value that more. And I totally agree with that. I There's no world where I'm going to stand up and say the artistry of freestyle should be diminished by the judging system but what you've always told me and i've come to see it is that it turns out that people don't agree on that and that the judging numbers on things like music choreography can be at best very random or at worst a proxy for the player's reputation is that fair yeah that's pretty accurate yeah so you might start out and thinking, okay, music's a big part of our sport. Let's make that a big part of the judging system. And then you look at the results for five years and you say, hey, there's actually no agreement on any judging panel about which teams had better music choreography than which other teams. So this is, I think, 
we're gonna i'm gonna at least use a lot of things i'm not that familiar with and probably use them wrong but i think you'd call it like noisy like it's a very noisy stat when you're looking at the judging system and be like oh like this doesn't actually mean very much or tell the judging system very much about how to rank these teams correctly yeah that's i think noisy is appropriate yeah so it's beyond again, it's like it's like noisy plus <laughs> yeah and, and again that's just this is how complex it is and i'll give one other example which is very fresh so at the fpaw 2022 mixed pairs round there was a bit of a problem with the power and making sure that the judging system would be able to get through the round there's a lot of unfortunate things that happen in politics that happen whatever we won't go into the details apologies to anyone who rightfully was like frustrated with what happened but in any case there was a seating round for women's pairs and because it was kind of an emergency, we did a on paper general impression judging of all the teams. And the judging panel was a who's who's the best players in the world. You had Freddie Finner, Graf Mordi, Ed O'Turi, me, others, like all the best players were judging this round. And I was very excited because even three weeks ago, I was be I was really enamored of a totally a total general impression judging system. Like, let's keep it so simple. Watch the routine and decide in general which routine was the best. And I was excited to see how it worked at an actual world championship event. Guess what happened? None of the judges agreed about the placement of the teams. None of them. All over the place, totally different. Now, yes, there was some agreement. Not even, there was an agreement on first or second, for instance. There was an agreement on who should make the finals or not. I guess everyone made the finals, but there was sort of like important seating implications. But the point is, is like even this super simple system, everyone had completely different results and it definitely calls into question, what, is the, what do these results mean if I think you're first and you think they're fifth? And some of that's judging something subjective, but some of it is like you said, it gets actually really complicated to turn something like, what's the best routine and turn it into a numerical score and cool oh. and part of and <laughs> lot, to put one pin in to make sure i'm like actually talking about what we're talking about it's if you don't have enough clarity about what people are judging you get noisy results like we had when we touched all general impression like we were all so unmoored and we're all looking at different things that our numbers didn't mean very much in the end okay i agree Okay, my last point on this, and then we can move on, is when you talk about the judging system, I talk about it at different scope levels. Like, I don't know what scope is in, like, for a normal human being, but it's like, sometimes I talk it up, about it at a high level, like, I'll say things uh, like, execution doesn't matter, it's all about difficulty right now. That's like a high level. But we're going to talk about details today, and it's really dangerous to think and talk at different scopes and like compare them. You have to like, when you're talking about details, you have to compare it to other details and be like, oh, you said execution doesn't matter, but I'm gonna be like, no, execution matters this much in the details. And that's why it's important to this other diff piece and the details going from 12 to 13 phrases makes a difference. So when- Go ahead, keep going. Yeah, so like when I'm, at tournaments, I will always talk at the high level because it's just much more easy. It's much easier to understand and it's like shorter to communicate. And so, I, yeah, I think a lot of conceptions on the judging system are based on like 
my short high-level explanations. Okay, I think that makes sense. Let me put it in different terms. And so, so I think I thought about this issue a lot because I think one problem the judging system has had, which is vaguely your faults, is that <laughs> you are smarter than everybody else and you're smarter than everybody else about this system and you talk about things in a way that's very unfamiliar to the average person. And so you get misunderstood a lot. So, and you kind of point to a big example of that, which is a lot of times you'll say something like execution doesn't matter. And you're talking about it in a very specific sense that people don't always pick up on. So let me try to think of a, or like I'll think of a concrete example that isn't necessarily a real example, but just to kind of give people a flavor of it. So you might say execution doesn't matter. And you might be talking about the category called execution has such a low impact on the relative rankings of the teams that it's not affecting their placement in this round. But that doesn't mean execution doesn't matter to doing well at this tournament because execution also matters in non-execution categories like difficulty, general impression, variety, and basically every other category. So like that would be an example where you're talking about like you might be talking about the category called execution, but someone else is thinking about the philosophical concept called execution. Is that like a good example? That's a good example. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's just a classic, any argument example. Sometimes you're talking about different things and that's why you're fighting and you don't realize like if you could agree on the scope of what you're discussing, you would realize you actually agree with each other. I wonder what the solution of that is because I would have to talk a long time so at work, I always try and figure out what the other person's thinking before I give my, or what, like what I say is based on what I think the other person knows, but I don't know what everyone knows. And it takes a long time to know what everyone knows. Yeah. I think, I think about this a lot with you and my main job in the freestyle community is to translate between you and everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hyper aware of this problem, but I, I mean, I don't think there's a perfect solution, but I do think. Unfortunately, more words are the solution. And I know that's a big joke coming from me who blithers too much, but like a big part of my job every day is trying to figure out how to explain things to an audience that doesn't understand something. And again, I might not always succeed at that. So don't judge me when I screw it up on this podcast, but like I'm very sensitive to that because that's a big part of my job. Whereas you're in a world where people are kind of in the same world and thinking about things in a similar way. And so maybe you don't have to do that as much, but I think everyone struggles with it, no matter what worlds you live in, it's just yeah. finding the same language to talk about and to make sure you're not two ships sailing in the night, talking about different things. Yeah. That happens more <laughs> often. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anything else on the process? Not from me. Are we okay to move on? Yeah, I, I do want to make one really quick point, which is that there was a lot of data and data analysis that went into building the new system, which I don't know if everyone knows or appreciates. So we and actually there was a group before us went through scores under the old system and actually crunched the numbers to figure out what was the weight of all these categories, what mattered, what didn't matter. And we analyzed the results after every tournament 
to figure out what mattered and what doesn't matter and make changes. So there actually is a lot of analysis that goes into building the system, a lot of un unsung heroic work by different people to kind of see what's actually happening. Because as we'll probably talk about, when you look at the numbers, it doesn't always tell you the whole story until you dig a little deeper. And we, we did that as part of building the system. So I think that's important. And then one other thing, which I think will come up, but as far as the process is that if you build a, and I'll use the game example. So Ryan, if you're, if you're building a patch for Dota and you're trying to figure out, is this character overpowered? What do you do? Um, and I'm asking that as a real question. Like, what would you do to figure out that that character is overpowered? So I know what they do in Dota. They make the change. You play it with your 10 best friends that you trust their opinion. And then they tell you. That's the first step, but there's like five more steps after that. But, but, but wait, you can go back. Can, Before okay. you make the change, what prompts you to make the change in the first place? Oh, usually community feedback or stats. or Stats. So yeah. I want to focus on the latter. So <laughs> what I assume happens, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, you're worried that the character called Wind Ranger is overpowered. What do you do? You look at the win rate, and you mm -hmm. see that this character wins 70% of its games. And you think, okay, like on average... The, each character should have like a 45 to 55% win rate. Like that's pretty healthy. It tells you that like, it's not some super powered advantage to make this hero. It wins about half the time. That's about right. So it's really easy for them to kind of see the health of the game because they can look at outlier results to see like, that's a problem. But we can't really do that in freestyle because there's no objective win loss situation. So people can complain about the results of a tournament but there's two problems. One, no one ever calls us to say, hey, we really loved the outcome of this tournament. You really only hear from the minority of people. Or it might be a minority, it might be a majority. That's kind of the problem. You hear complaints, but you don't hear people saying it was successful. But when you get complaints, you can't be like, oh, well, they were right and the people who judged it were wrong. You know what I mean? So like, we don't have an objective way to keep tinkering with the judging system to make it correct. We just have to say like, on average, it seems like people like these kinds of outcomes more than these other kinds of outcomes, and therefore we'll adjust the judging system to that. But we can't be like, up oh, at one eighty percent of the time, that's the problem. Let's just adjust it until it's fifty-five, and <laughs> problem solved. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I get your it, point. Because <laughs> it's kind of like, and I'll actually make a more concrete example. So something happens regularly. It happened at Worlds this year. The judge, the the round is judged. And someone has a problem with it. And we call the committee, the international committee to look at the results. <laughs> and so you have results from nine judges and then you call whatever the 10 people on the committee. So now you have 10 new judges and they eyeball it and they go, well, maybe we disagree with this, but like, why would our opinion be any more valid than the opinion of the other nine people who judged it? And what always happens is we don't do anything, which I think is actually right. It's like, why... Why would bringing in a new set of random people to judge it re results in a more accurate ranking than the first set of nine or 10 people judging it? So there's definitely like this, it's so subjective problem that we can't know whether we're making it better or just different. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I agree on so many different points, but. Okay, but that's, that, like that's episode all I two. wanted to yeah. say about like process maybe. And I, I just wanted to point it out. Like, and I think it all goes into, it's really hard to build the judging system. You think it's easy, but it's not. But okay, let's move on to whatever you wanna talk about next. Okay, the next part, I wanna lay, give a lay of the land. 
So from like a really high level. So there's four things that happen when there's competition. So the team plays, then the judges watch the team play. They think about it. Then the judges put their scores into the system and then the system calculates it. So the only part we're going to talk about is the system calculating. Like we've spent like so long talking about the judging system, but that's only affects this last piece where the system calculates. There's still these other three, like the team playing, they can drop it. The judges watching, they can miss it. And the judges entering the score, they can like put in, like they just put in a seven when that was really a eight. Okay, I like, couldn't agree more, but this is a qualifier because I think this probably whole episode is just qualifiers. This is a qualifier that we need to spend more time on, I think, right? I mean, this yeah. is like one of the most important things. So what I'm saying is we're going to throw away the first, we're going to ignore the first three problems. We're only going to talk about the fourth one. Yes. I, can we talk about how important the third issue is? Of Oh, yeah. We can say that, oh, I was going to say that each piece of that is just as impactful. Like the player dropping the disc is just as impactful as the judge not giving the deduction. Like, Okay, but let me pause here. And sorry, okay. this is going to be like the story of our lives. Like I mother too much and you don't. No, would you say this is accurate? 99 times out of 100, certainly nine times out of 10, but I would guess 99 times out of 100, when we get a complaint about the quote unquote judging system, the changes that are requested would not have impacted the score, or I should say would not have impacted the ranking of the team because what the player is really complaining about is something the judge did, not the judging system. I think that's mostly correct. Okay, why is it just mostly correct? Because I think there are, I mean, there's three, three things that can go wrong, but like the majority is probably in the judges watching and the judges entering scores. But to give like, an example, a lot of the time people say, well, like these results seem wrong and maybe whatever execution should count more. We go and we look at the scores and it turns out the team that everyone thought should have won lost every single category meaning their numbers were lower than the other team's numbers in every category. So there's nothing the judging system could change to make that team ranked higher, right? Because the lower numbers can't beat higher numbers and the judging system can't turn a lower score into a higher score, except like it can change the relative weights of things to influence things. But if you, if you truly have a lower score in every category, the judging system can't help you. That's correct. And I think that does happen a lot. And that happened at Frisbeer, looking at the yes. Frisbeer results. Yes. Like Very I would say point. that's the majority of the, I would say the majority of the cases are that case where the raw scores. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. So like the raw scores dictated the results before the judging system did anything to them. And this is my public service announcement. If you come to the committee with a problem and we're very open to feedback. We've made changes after every tournament in response to feedback. The judging committee really cares about people's feedback, but do try to make sure you know whether it's something the judging system could have done. Because again, increasing the weight of a category doesn't help you if you lost that category anyways. Like if your raw score was lower, we can't, we can't change the judges scores for you. We can't change the raw judging scores we can only change the weight 
exactly. Okay, I had to get that off my chest. That's one of my biggest, <laughs> my biggest pet peeves. Like, we can't change the raw scores. Okay, all right. We're moving on? Yeah. Okay. I think we talked about a lot of the design by committee. We'll, we'll talk about that later <laughs> in, like, another podcast. And we covered... I have a note about the judging system should influence the play which we briefly talked about that, but I think we should save that for a debate instead. I think that's a better. Okay, that's fair. Okay. Okay. So we're going to, let's just start talking about the things that we've, we've been hearing. Okay. Okay, you go first. Okay, the first one is, I hear a lot about what are the weight of the categories. So the first oh. problem with this is that... I think is a misconception like category weight, like doesn't even, you shouldn't even think about it that way. Like that will lead you down the wrong path. A better way to think about it is how do I get points for every category? It's like, how do you, yeah, gain points. Like that's a much more accurate. And I think it'll be more helpful in like not only understanding the results, but planning ahead for your next routine and being like, how do I get points from difficulty while I do these things? So no matter what, I want to talk about this, but tell me what the right order is. I want to very briefly explain how wrong people are about the weight of categories and what they mean. But I don't know if it makes sense to do that before you talk about trying to get the most points in each category or if it makes sense after. I feel like it makes sense before, but I don't want to let's go. You. Okay, let's go now because I already... I'm going to look at what you say through that lens that I just explained. Okay. So correct me if I'm wrong at any point here. And I actually have written up a four or five page primer that will explain to you exactly how this works. And I will post that soon on the listserv and on Facebook, and we can put it in the description of this podcast. But you are probably wrong about how the weight of categories is determined by looking at the judging system. And the easiest example is to look at the old judging system. So the common theory of the old judging system was that all the categories were weighted the same, difficulty, execution, and AI. And the reason people thought they were weighted the same is that each category was determined, or each category was out of 10 points. So you could have 10 points in diff, 10 in AI, and 10 in execution. So logically, or at least it seemingly, seemingly logically, people thought, these categories are weighted the same, one-third, one-third, one-third. That turns out to be completely wrong. So I'm not going to go into the math and the podcast because it'll be confusing. I'll point you to the primer there. But just to give you the quickest version, the weight of a category is determined by the spread of that category divided by the sum of the spread of all the categories. So again, I won't do the math too much, but let's say the spread in difficulty is five points the spread of AI is two points and the spread of execution is one point, difficulty would have mattered far more than the other categories because the spread was bigger. I think you should explain what spread means because we should just say that all the time, what spread okay, is. Spread is a very important concept to understand in a judging system. So spread is the difference between the highest score and the lowest score. And what's important here is the categories. So in the difficulty category, one team might score under the old system a two, and another team scores an eight, the spread in that category would be six. So that means the best team had six, got six more points out of difficulty than the worst team. 
Um, and if and if in another category, art, artistic impression, the scores were four and five, the spread of that category would be one. So the best team in that category only got one point over the worst team. And again, I'm talking about category by category. The, the best team doesn't always win every category, although we should come back to that. And the worst team doesn't always lose every category. So you have to look at category by category. But it's the spread is all that matters. It doesn't matter if difficulty scores are 10,000 and AI scores are two if the spreads are similar. So spread is the most important concept to understanding the weight of a category. So again, going back to the old system, everyone was talking about how each category was out of 10, they must be equally weighted. But it turns out the spread of some categories was far more than other categories. And it's actually pretty easy to understand. Execution was a purely deduction-based system. A team could have 30 drops and they would have a zero in execution. So a team that goes dropless might have a 10, a team that's in Frisbee Hell might have a zero. And if that happens, this the spread of execution would be huge. It would be 10. It would be maximum. And execution would have a lot of weight. Scores and difficulty were calculated by taking the average of 15 time blocks. It depends on the round and you dropped one. But to make it simple, you had 15 time blocks. Everyone got a score and then you average them together. Well, there's an effect of averaging, which is that it brings things to the middle. So difficulty scores unlike execution scores, tended to be between five and six. So while the execution spread might be between zero and 10, the difficulty spread was between five and six. So if the execution spread was 10 and the difficulty spread was one, execution would have had 10 times more weight than difficulty. And AI had a bigger spread than difficulty, but a smaller spread than execution. And people actually looked at the numbers, they figured out the spreads of each category, they compared it and they figured out that Difficulty basically did not count as a category. AI had a pretty big amount of weight, mostly because difficulty had so little. It's a zero-sum game. If you lose if you lose value in one category, you gain it in another. And X had by far the most weight. And that's before considering bleeding effects, which we should talk about, where some categories bleed into others. So not only might you get a zero in execution if you dropped a lot, it would also hurt your difficulty score because you wouldn't be getting high diff marks for those drops. So that is how you figure out the weight of a category. And importantly, and I can't say this enough, it changes. So we can't tell you the weight is 25, 20, 20, 20, or whatever the numbers are. Because if the judges judge it differently, the weights will be different. So in some rounds, if all the difficulty scores are the same, difficulty won't have very much weight. In some rounds, if all the teams go dropless, execution is not going to have a lot of weight. That makes sense. If all the teams are about the same in one category, that category doesn't matter very much. So be very careful about how you think about the weights of categories. It's always changing. Um, but we can build, we can still build weights by looking at averages and being like, in general, this is the spread of this category. Let's weigh it appropriately so it has, on average, a certain amount of weight. But that's really the best we can do. Is anything I said there incorrect, Ryan? I think everything you said there is accurate, but it gives the wrong impression. Okay, so say like, more. A lot of these stats are interesting to look at after the fact, but I don't think they're, they shouldn't be used as 
like evidence or I mean, they, they shouldn't be used as like basis for thinking. Like you have to like translate this into layman's term, but like when you're thinking about the judging system, you shouldn't be thinking about the weight, the category of weights. That would be my high level summary. Like that is, will lead you down the wrong path. There's no, that's like kind of like the random outcomes will determine the weight, but you don't care about the random parts of the judging system. You want to care about the parts that you can uh, like use effectively. I think the reason people care about weights is twofold. One is very philosophical. There are some people who just feel like we need to emphasize difficulty and some people who think we should instead emphasize artistry. And so it's kind of a moral, religious, faith, philosophical <laughs> debate about like it should have more weight. And for anyone who just says, well, it's both. Unfortunately, this is a zero-sum game. If we give more weight to difficulty, artistry loses weight. So there's no pleasing everybody here, which is another theme, right? Like, no matter what we do, some group of people is not going to be happy about it. Yeah. So that, that we, also goes back to why sideways changes are important. Because you can make a sideways change from artistry to difficulty one year. That's actually a good point. So like some years it might favor some players and other years it favors others, but it's not always the same players that are being favored true. But anyways, going back to my twofold thing. So first thing, philosophically, some people really care about weights because it like dictates the meaning of the sport. But the second thing is in theory, although in practice, I don't think this happens very much, which we should talk about. There might be a choice where someone's building a routine and they're like, we have two co-ops that we can put here. One is very difficult, but has really low artistry, whatever that means. <laughs> but... <laughs> And or we can do the super artistic one that doesn't have a lot of difficulty and we have to make the decision about what to do based on our understanding of the weight of those categories. So that's why okay. I think people care about it. But like, what's your response to that? Okay, this is going to lead me into how people should think. So I think let's use one of the examples that I say all the time, which is diff is everything in the new system. So okay. let's break that down. So when you're thinking about building your next routine and you're looking at the judging system, I think you should look at each category and you should determine how effective is that category and how reliable is it. So like by effectiveness, I mean, uh, easy way is diff is exponential this year. So that means a 10 is worth way more than a 10, but a 10, like a, no, a 10 is way, worth way more than a 10 in difficulty but it's only worth a 10 in AI. So it's difficulty is way more effective in that sense. Okay, I'll then, translate all this, but keep going. Okay. So the second part is reliability. Like how reliable is it that the team does the move and it gets all the way into the judging system? So like the team hits the triple spinning barrel guidance, catches it, they get a 10 because it's very obvious what a triple spinning barrel guidance looks like. They caught it. There's like, there's not much to it. It's very objective. And then the judges puts the 10 in and the system does the rest. But let's say they caught it on the music. The AI judge is not even judging music until the end of the round. Like, will they even remember that they caught it on the music note? It's like unreliable. Okay. So I'm going to try to translate that. So the first part is just math. And this is the part that I think rattles some people and we can talk about it. Which is that if you got a 10 in difficulty with the exponential multiplier, it's worth closer to a 15. Whereas if you got a 10 in music choreography, it's just worth a 10 in that category. So that's issue A. But again, 
Well, I'm going to leave that. So that's issue one. But issue two, which I think a lot of, about a lot lately, and this is the thing I've changed on after looking at so many judging seats from so many tournaments, is reliability. And this can't be stated enough. You believe you make super artistic, musically choreographed routines and that you're getting higher scores than everybody else. You are not because not everyone shares that belief because everyone seems to have different opinions about it. It's like... 10 people can make 10 routines that they think are the most artistic, musically choreographed routines in the world. And then nine judges are going to judge those routines and they're going to have wildly different opinions about their merit. So like Ryan's point is that, you know, when you hit a triple spinning barrel guidance, you're going to get an awesome difficulty score because it's pretty hard for a judge to screw that up. But your incredible artistic routine to spoken word poetry, you cannot be confident that the judges are going to give you a high AI score for that, right? Exactly. And this, and one thing I want to come back to at some point is like, do people really game the system? And what does that even mean? Because I think people, and this is partially your bad communication, think me and you built in a lab like routines that were designed to completely abuse the system. And we should talk about that because I think that's super overblown. They don't really understand what we were thinking about. But the one kind of like strategizing to do because generally I build routines that I think are cool. Like you don't have to like my routines. That's fine. But usually I'm just like, I want to do this because I think it's cool and I'm going to do it. But there are times where I want to do something and I think this is too subtle. No one's going to pick up on this. And you tell me that all the time. I like have some cool idea and you're like, the judge is never going to notice that you did that. So like, for instance, I have this turnover that I've never done in a tournament that looks exactly like a much easier turnover. It's about a thousand times harder, but it looks like another turnover that's easy. So if I do the incredibly advanced turnover that I think is so cool, I will nine times out of 10 get a score based on the easier turnover because no judge is going to notice in the heat of the moment that I did something much more complicated. And like that's an example of where like it does make sense to be like, okay, are the judges actually going to pick up on this? And some things judges are good at picking up on and other things people aren't. And there are certain categories that judges are bad at picking up on. And those categories are hard to rely on if you're trying to beat the system by building a routine around it. Exactly. Okay, I'm going to pull in something you said earlier, which is we're all volunteers here, right? Like the judges yeah. are volunteers. And we like recruit them when they're rather just be sitting there like watching the tournament. Like they're doing their best. And I don't think we can rely on the judges being better. Like we have to work with, with what we have, like until we can start paying and flying in judges to the tournaments, these are the judges we're going to get. And these are the scores we're going to get. This should be like, a whole other podcast and people are not going to like this opinion. And this is another thing I've changed on for years and years. I was with everyone else being like, we need more judging education. We need to make the judges better. Now I'm like, no, everyone in the world thinks they're the best judge ever. But the thing is, we're all just different and it's impossible. Look, there's some things you can say you're better. It's like literally this person is sleeping while we're judging or like this person just misses half the drops. There are things like that. Sure, that happened. But on the judging committee, every single person in that room thinks they're the best judge ever. And I guarantee you, because it happens when we're judging together, I'm like, I can't believe Ryan's giving them a whatever in music choreography, <laughs> right? So like half of our half the time if not 90 percent of the time we say other judges are bad what we're really saying is that i have a different opinion than other people and i perceive that difference of opinion as i have higher skill than they do and i think that's just wrong 
So look, nine people judge, nine people see this differently. Some people like Picasso, some people like Pollock. Like that's just how it is. That was a very nice way of saying that. Yeah, and I, I, it's because it's, it's one of my pet peeves. Like, I really wish we'd stop just saying, like, the judges are bad or, like, I can't believe the judges did this. It's like people are going to disagree about the simplest things in our sport. Like, let's tell this story now. You, back in 2010, it's when I first started playing, so I might have got, not get this right. You had this idea of building a judging system that was, like, gymnastics or ice skating where certain moves had assigned scores. And you might get, like, execution with that, but, like, whatever. It's like the base score for Guidus would be whatever. And so you took videos of moves and you posted it on YouTube and you had a survey so people could watch the move and give it a score. And your idea was, let's figure out like what do people think a Guidus should get? And it turns out that the results were completely random. <laughs> they were all over the place. Like, <laughs> And just to take a simple thing, it's like, what's harder, a flawed, a Guidus, or a Scarecrow? Even as I say that out loud, I don't know. Like, I'm sure people have tons of opinions about that. But I guarantee you there's a sizable group of people that say a flawed is harder than a guidus and a guidus is harder than a scarecrow and a scarecrow is harder than guidus. Everyone's going to have a different opinion about how you would rank those three things. And that tells you all you need to know about how hard it is to <laughs> have a consensus on what is the correct way to judge. Yeah. And if you're sitting at home right now thinking like, well, obviously flawed is the hardest catch. Mm -hmm. You're wrong. Let me just tell you, like you have no idea. Nobody knows. But we can set a standard. That's the thing. We can set a rule. We can just pick which one. Like we See, have, <laughs> that, we have the ability just to set the order, and people will just do more of that the next year. This is where I disagree with you. So we'll set that aside for our long conversation about building systems that people are like basically supposed to game. But I, I just to follow up on your point that we can't just keep blaming the judges. Is to put it simply or whatever we've <laughs> yeah i could get really riled up about it i mean we've done so much to try to quote unquote educate the judges and it's just it's always going to be the same problems but continue okay i think um, was that everything no or we were breaking down oh yeah we were talking about how to think about building your next routine just yeah. under the phrase like diff is everything okay so looking at all the categories you should apply that logic like effective and reliability to all the categories and let's just break down we should probably break down all the categories but i don't know if we'll have time let's just do diff for now okay okay so right now in diff the judge is going to give you a score from zero to ten every time you throw it basically okay which is pretty easy to do and so yes. just that part those phrases are matter for other parts of the system and so like that's reliable and it's effective so like diff is already counting just for them from the throw yeah the next thing is the exponential so you're getting these scores from zero to ten all your scores from diff are, if they're higher than five, you're probably getting more than five points. I think that's yeah. the easiest way to think about it. So like five yeah. is the inflection point. So let me translate that. So because it's exponential, right? So higher things are worth even more. So if a one is a one, 
a two is a two. I'm just making these numbers up. But like, imagine it's probably even one is less than one. But yeah, let, I think you should explain it that way. Everything less than five is worth less than the number value. Okay, so the point, and here's the history. The point of a nonlinear dip multiplier is twofold. First, as I mentioned before, there's a long history of difficulty not counting very much as a category and having no impact on scores. So we've tried a lot of things to increase the spread of difficulty. And the first thing we did was a, a straight up multiplier. So we just took the diff scores and we multiplied them by a number. Multiplying diff scores also multiplies the spread and makes the spread more. But that didn't really solve the problem all the way. We could have made the multiplier higher. So instead of 1.5, we could have done five or something. But we also thought there was another part of difficulty that was tricky, which is that if you did a four instead of a three, you got one extra point. And it's not that much harder to do a four over a three. But if you did a 10 instead of a nine, a 10 is way harder than a nine, and yet you only got one more point. So you might as well do a bunch of fours instead of threes than tens instead of nines. Now, if you're an alien listening from space, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. People are assigning numerical scores to moves. Why would they make a 10 so much harder to get than a nine when a four is really easy to get over a three? This is a problem of the human brain, that it doesn't contemplate exponential differences very well. So it's really hard for us to see something that's 10 times harder and not just give it a little bit more weight. So like, just think about this in general. How often do you watch a round at a tournament and the best team is literally 10 or 50 times better than the worst team all the time? And yet, what do the scores say? The scores say that the best team was five points ahead of the worst team. So if you need any more evidence of our failures to think exponentially, it is that. We have a lot of trouble making those differences. So the nonlinear judging system is developed to increase the spread because multiplying difficulty scores increases the spread to make difficulty matter as much as people wanted it to. And two, to recognize that humans are really bad at rewarding exponential increases in difficulty. So a 10 deserved more than 10 points. So how does that play out in simple terms? A one is worth, let's say 0.7, a two is worth 0.9, sorry, a two is worth 1.5, a three is worth 2.8, moving ahead, five is a five, seven is a seven, eight, eight is a nine, five, 10 is a 15, whatever it is. So like every increase on the linear scale, zero to 10, you have a bigger increase on the nonlinear scale. So the difference between a nine and 10 is five points. The difference between an eight and nine might be three points. And again, don't, I don't know what the numbers are off the top of my head, but it's roughly that. So if you get a 10, it's worth more like 15. Exactly. So because of that, if you put effort into diff and you're consistently getting sixes and sevens, the amount of points you're getting is more than six and seven. So it's really effective in those terms. Yes. So to follow up on that, when you do a really hard move, and there are, I mean, there's a lot of theory behind this, but some moves always get high points. Like Guidus will always get Guidus points and the triple spinning barrel Guidus will always get a nine or a 10, at least yes. in this current climate. Yes. And that is very reliable way to get points. And that's why I say diff is everything. It's like, because of all of those things, it's very effective and it's very reliable. Let's compare it to another category, execution. Okay. okay. I would compare it. No, let's go with I, I purposely <laughs> picked execution because execution is always a weird category. I think it's like 
the most different of all the categories and that's why I picked it. Okay. I think I should do a compare and contrast with the old system to make it a little more obvious. I was or should just I just that break down the new one? I already forgot the words you're using, but execution is, it's very clear that you will or won't get points from it. You know exactly what to do to get the points, but it's not reliable because of yourself. <laughs> like <laughs> oh, that, You're thinking about it in like the other, that's like the first problem. <laughs> okay, okay, but, okay, but continue. We're only continue. talking about, I guess yeah, I'm yeah. talking about like step two and three from what the judges see, but okay, we'll do execution. So the first thing, is uh, let's okay. Let's start with the part that's the same of the old system, which is when you drop it, you're going to get a point three. It's a basic drop. Yeah, it's very reliable in that sense. And what usually happens? I mean, this is a largely because you, James, tell everyone to give a lot of point ones. Mm-hmm. When someone plays not so clean, they're going to get a lot of point ones nowadays. So it's yeah. pretty reliable that you're going to get these deductions. But the new thing we added for the new system is the multipl- is the execution multiplier, which is the more phrases you have, the less damaging your penalties and execution are. Yeah. So it's like basically the more throws you have, the more chances you have to drop. So then we tried to balance that out by not making the penalties so severe. Yeah. And, and that go ahead, okay. go ahead. That is very effective. Like we talked about in diff how counting throws is very easy. So you're going to get the, you're going to get the phrase count. Like you can rely on the judges to get you the phrase count. And it's easy to add a bunch of phrase counts to your routine through quick catch or speed flow. And so you can like effectively reduce your execution penalty by 50%. Like everyone should have a 50% reduction if they're trying to optimize for this system. Yeah. So as background from the old system, the old system execution stood alone. Uh, drop was always 0.3. That's it. You got a 0.3 no matter what. Under the new system, there was complaints that under the old system, if you had a routine with, say, lots of speed flow, because everyone's obsessed with speed flow, you guys know, know my feelings on that by now. But there was an obsession that speed flow wasn't rewarded under the old system. And so part of the way to fix that was to make the execution errors less penalizing for speed flow. So speed flow hurt your execution score a lot because if you had 10 speed flow thrown catches, you were much more likely to have a drop in there somewhere versus, let me pause, let me make this even simpler. If you have a routine with 50 throws in it, you're probably going to have 10 drops in it. If you have a routine with five throws in it, you're going to have one. So under the old system, that routine where you had 10 drops that, but it had 50 throws in the same three minutes, you got destroyed in execution. But the routine that had five throws in one drop had an incredible execution score. So there was, I think, a legitimate unfairness in the sense that the more content you put in your routine, the more you were penalized by execution. So our solution was, well, we have this new difficulty system that is incidentally counting all your phrases because you get a diff score for each phrase. So the computer system has the data to know how many times you threw the disk. And so it can use that information to help you in, it can use that information to modify your execution score to reflect the risk of your routine. So this was a cool example of using technology 
or changing the Jetty system to utilize what technology let us do. It would have been really hard on paper to add up all the phrases and create a multiplier and multiply it against your execution score, but the computer can do that really easily. I will say though, I think this didn't work or this, this worked too well. <laughs> so it, 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 I don't know, at least this is more like personal opinion. And like I said, like everyone's opinion is different. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong about this, but it, it did seem like the pendulum swung too far in my opinion and execution mattered very little and how it impacted teams scores. And part of it was the catch multiplier because people did figure it out and it is pretty easy to abuse. So like you can add 10 really fast quick catches that are really safe and get a bunch of phrases that helped your execution score, even though those new phrases didn't really add a lot of risk to your routine. So like, this is something you kind of like, like it's clear what to do to help your score and teams made adjustments to do that. But I didn't really like it personally because it, the thing it was designed to help, it didn't necessarily help that much. Instead, it helped people who were kind of willing to abuse it. Like, mm -hmm. and there, I it's think an the unintended consequence, right? Like it's hard to this make is a, a change. Classic yeah. unintended consequence. Like we did not, like I truly, and we, this is another thing we tried to build things so that you could succeed in different ways. Like our theory was if you have less phrases, you have less risk and you don't worry about the multiplier. And if you have lots of phrases, you're not worried about execution because you have the multiplier. So we were trying to balance it to be like, okay, like the teams with lots of phrases will feel okay because they get help. The teams with a few phrases will feel okay because they're not putting much at risk. But it turns out like there was a way to have your cake and eat it too. Like you could pump in a lot of like <laughs> fake phrases to help your execution score. And so like it, it just was imbalanced. There wasn't, it wasn't, or I should, yeah, there wasn't like a nice balance where you could choose. Do I want more phrases or less phrases? And both have advantages and disadvantages. Instead, it was like, it's all advantage. Do lots of phrases. Doesn't matter what they are. Just put them in there. So like that to me didn't quite work and it'll probably get adjusted, but that's a great example of unintended consequences. I'm going to add one like game designer insight here. So like you mentioned, you can have everything. You can have lots of phrases and not a lot of risk mm -hmm. in behind the scenes. There's a number that determines how important that diff multiplier is. And I think a lot of people can, will think like, why don't we just adjust that number? So it's like in the right place. Like mm -hmm. adjusting that number to the right place is like impossible. Yeah. Like what you want to do is maybe we disagree on this, but I'm like, what do we want the players? How do we want, what do we want the routines to look like? And we change that number that makes that like makes what we want it to look like. Like right now player teams are going to have the max amount of diff or like the max amount of phrases to get to the 50% threshold. So like, you want like the minimum amount of phrases to get all the credit, right? That's the yeah. most optimal solution. And so what we can do is change where that number is to be the most aesthetically pleasing routine, whatever we think that is. Yeah, let me, let me translate. I'm gonna say that a lot for this podcast. So one view, and I'll actually like personalize this because I did kind of feel this way. Um, and look again, we can't say this enough, we did not, make the decisions about the strategy system. We were part of the committee, but believe me, there was a ton of fighting. Everyone had different opinions. We didn't all agree on this. But like if I were dictator 
and I was a dictator who didn't care what other people thought and just wanted to do what I wanted, I would have looked at the old system and the old routines and I would have said, I'm really tired of routines where every throw has a thousand RPMs and you're filling time for 12 seconds and then you have one move that's hard because execution was so scary that everyone had really slow, really straightforward routines to try to avoid execution penalties. Because believe me, under the old system, we crunch the numbers, count the drops, you pretty much know who won under the old system a lot of the I time. think the math was one drop was equivalent to five spins. So if you could add five spins to your routine, you could drop it one more time. But, oh man, there's, <laughs> there's let me, there's gonna be a lot of tangents. Here's a tangent. Under the old system, the spread between the winning team and the losing team was often, or I should put it even more starkly, the spread between the first place team and the third place team was often two or three points, right? Yeah. And again, that's so critical. It's the difference between winning a world title and getting third place was two or three points. Every time you drop the disc, just in execution alone, that was 1.2 points. Or sorry, 0.9, because it was three, three, three. Three judges giving you a 0.3 deduction. So basically, every time you dropped it, you lost one point. And again, we're in the podium. The difference between third and first was two or three points. So one drop basically determined where you were on the podium. And that's before you considered the ancillary effects of that drop, how it hurt your difficulty score, how it hurt your choreography score and your teamwork score and your general impression score. So basically, every time you dropped it, you dropped yourself down at least one position on the ranking. So, okay, but going back to my initial point, which is I didn't like that system and I didn't like how it forced people to play in a way that was really safe. So I might redesign the system to incentivize way more content. And one way to do that would be a catch percentage. Like every time you add an extra phrase to your routine, you get 10 points. And if you did that, you would have routines that were stuffed with content. And I'm not saying that's better or worse, but that would be an example of like, I want a particular kind of routine I want a routine with lots of phrases, not a lot of, or I want a routine with lots of phrases rather than a routine with just a couple of phrases. And I could design the system to reward that. And that's something that you're more comfortable than I'm doing. Like, I don't like dictating the way that people play, but I also totally understand being like, look, if we all agree, and this is kind of what happened, if we all agree that speed flow is valuable, let's design the system to reward that. And that's kind of what we did. But like, I usually don't like that. I don't like, I like people to be able to make choices and every choice has a cost and a benefit and there's different ways to succeed. Again, that's not right. Like the way I describe it, it's always going to make my version sound really good, <laughs> but there's a totally valid reason to say it should be designed to incentivize the very particular things that we all like. So I'm not saying I'm right, but that's just my view. So that's what the catch percentage thing was designed to do. But one other point that's really important of like unintended consequences, here's what can go wrong with a catch percentage problem. And I don't think there's any way to solve this. Like no matter how you do the balancing, this will happen. For some routines, there will come a time where no matter what, adding an extra phrase increases your score, even if it's a throwaway, right? <laughs> so <Yeah>. like, <laughs> let's say you had 25 drops in your routine. So you have a whole, like negative 50 execution score in any extra phrase is like a 5% bonus execution value. It's like, oh, I'll drop it one more time. Ensure my execution goes from 50 to 51 raw, but that 5% bonus subtracts six or like adds six points to my total score. <laughs> so like that's pretty messed up that 
a routine would be better in the sense of getting a higher score if the team, if the players just picked up five discs and just threw them into the crowd because all those <laughs> extra phrases were more valuable than the fact that they dropped it. It's like that's classic unintended consequences. Yeah. I mean, I'll counter that in our debate episode about this. But like the short is, do we care about the 25 drop routine? We don't. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like no, they lose really either fair. way. But yeah, comic, but we should say, and... we could talk about that for like another two hours easily. But... Oh man, there's we're so still breaking down. About. We are yeah, like yeah, halfway let's, through the, let's, let's finish our breakdown and let's pause. And then let's say we're making a part two. We'll keep going tonight, but like, let's just split it up into two parts, but let's finish our breakdown here. Okay. Uh, variety is next. Sure. Okay. So, so let me, can I give the history of variety real quick yep. and then you can go. So variety has been a very tortured category in freestyle because we've never come up with a good way to measure it. So when I first started playing and I can't talk that much about what existed before that, it was just simply zero to 10, give a variety score and variety was part of AI. So it was one of like six categories. And there was a complaint from players that it was so unmoored that it, no one really knew how to judge it. So it's like, well, what are we looking for? Like, did that team really have more variety or not? And people felt like the scores were random. So then they introduced a checklist and they had a list of moves and it would be like upside down, kicks, brushes, tips, catches, whatever. And the judges would fill that out. As you can imagine, that took forever. So I remember in 2014 Worlds, we were using that checklist and it was 10 minutes between each team's or more in the finals and it was unbearable for the audience it was unbearable for the judges and it was unbearable for the players in purgatory waiting to play and having no idea if they're going to play in the next like the schedule <laughs> like i remember as a player i was like i could be playing in the next 30 seconds or the next 15 minutes i have no idea because i don't know how long this checklist is going to take so we didn't really like that um but when we made the new system one we got a little bit of consensus that Variety was really important, but it didn't really have a lot of weight and it didn't have a lot of weight given how time consuming it was. It's like, here's this category that's taking us most, I mean, really all that matters is the weak link, whatever category takes the longest to judge. That's how long it takes to judge the round. It's like this one category accounted for 90% of the time it took to judge the rounds and it only counted for one, it was one sixth of one of three categories that only counted like 40 it's like net it probably counted like three or four percent of your whole score so that was pretty messed up and so what we came up with and i don't know if i like it and i i think whatever what we have now you've experienced but basically while you watch the round you just press a button every time you see something new and then at the end of the round you do a little bit like what you did on the old system and you give kind of a holistic what's the quality of this variety score and you give a score there so two things about that. One is we were surprised when we were coming up with it, how relatively consistent people were in pressing the increment button. Like I would have thought ahead of time that if you had five people looking at a routine, pressing a button every time they saw something new, they'd have wildly different results, but they're actually pretty close to each other and they're good relatively. So like even if you have 30 on the first routine and I have 50, if my next team, I have 60, you would have 40. So or like we would like scale. That was a bad, I did my math wrong there, but like we would scale well. It's like you would always see teams as having more variety that I saw. So like it kind of worked in the way that we wanted it to work, but it's still so much work 
for a category that is, you know, maybe 15% of your score or something. So that's the history of variety. Cool. Yeah, I think 15% is a good estimate. So like looking at it through the effective reliability lens, like just on effectiveness, this whole, like your top cap is 15%. It's for one, it's linear. So the math behind is the number of phrases or the number of unique moves times your quality score, which is the number you give at the end. And it's just like a straight multiplication and then it's scaled by some number and then you get that amount of points. Like it's linear the whole way through. So you're not getting as much as diff just right off the bat. Meaning like if you're incrementally better than the next best team, you're only getting incrementally more points versus exactly. difficulty. If you're a little bit better than the next best team, you get a lot more points. But that's where, again, like our language is kind of hurting us. Because again, when I say you do incrementally better in difficulty, but your score is way better, doing incrementally better in difficulty is doing way better in difficulty. Because if, if your average is a nine and the other team's average is an eight, in reality, you did way more difficulty. So like that's, again, we have to be careful about our language. It's like your score is incrementally higher, but in reality, what you did was way harder and that's why we rewarded it more. But there's another thing about variety that relates to difficulty in the phrases thing. Under the new system, and this has been criticized by a couple of people, it's, I think it's a minority. You have so much value for doing lots of content because if you do more moves, you have more variety. If you do more moves, you have more diff. And hi, this is an example of you saying like, designing rule sets is hard. I understand the kind of view that do we want routines where you just have to start out of the gate doing triples and stuffing it full of crazy hard stuff? Or do we want routines that are more artistic and can build up and, you know, have ebb, ebb and flow, like a song, verse, chorus, bridge, climax, whatever. And I totally get that. But again, think about designing a rule set. It's the world championship. It's a competition. We have to assign numbers to things how can we not reward more difficulty? Like, it's just hard in a vacuum to be like, well, like this team does more hard stuff. Aren't they going to get more points no matter what we do? Like, <laughs> unless you get penalized for doing harder moves or more variety, you're always going to be rewarded for doing more stuff. So like, unless you got rid of the category called variety and got rid of the category called diff, there's always going to be some advantage to doing more content. Now, you can offset it by being like, well, execution counts for a lot. So the added risk of those things, it can temper the value of it. But again, like at the same end of the day, like we have to design a system that rewards things people care about. People care about different variety. You're always going to do better in those categories by doing more content. Okay. Okay, I'm going to highlight something. When, oh, I forgot. <laughs> it was when you're designing the system. Oh, I know what it was. People listening at home, when you're, when you're designing a system, you want to think, what, is, what am I trying to do? Like, what is the target? So think about what you like watching. Like, I like watching snowboarding. So I'd be like, let's make the system so it looks like snowboarding events. Like half pipe, you're limited to like five hits because that's how many fit in the half pipe. Yeah. And we can, we can make rules that force the competition to look like how we want. But that's not the important part. Like when we talk about weight of things, like those are the rules, like that's not important. What's important is what do we want it to look like? And if we can agree on that, then making the rule set is easier because now it's like the rules are not doing 
people are now making routines how we want them to look like, and we can change the rules. Everyone will agree because it doesn't look like what we want. Like knowing what we want is is the hard part. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess you're saying this, but my response is, again, two, two is the magic number today. One, I think the problem is people don't agree on what it should look like, or at least they think they don't agree on what it should look like. And two, I think people express how they want it to look by talking about category weights. So I think when people are talking about, I want diff to weigh more, or I want AI to weigh more, what they're really saying is, I like routines that look a certain way, and I assume that if I weigh this category more, the routines will look more like how I want them to look. Yeah, that makes sense. It's more complicated than that, but yeah, that's a good high well, level. Go into it. Oh, okay. You... Yeah. Yeah, it's like, this is where the details matter. It's like when you, so competition, no, how the players play and how the rules are set are kind of iterative. So like one, the players will play, then the, judging system will calculate their points and the players will see their points and then the next time they'll play differently. And then to counter that, the system will change and then the players will play differently again and then the system will change. And you sort of like, you can either just do random changes and like the direction of those changes will just be random or you can try and pick a target. And so each iteration gets closer to your target. And I think that's, important to have that kind of like goal-based iteration. I can't say more about the iterative process. So I've been telling people it's a moving target. So we have a tournament. There's a complaint that execution mattered too much. So we reduce how how much it matters. At the same time, though, everyone saw that at the old tournament, execution mattered a lot. So they change how they play at the next tournament, which changes how the judging system operates right so again going back to the spread thing the spread is what calculate the spread is what determines the weight of a category so if a spread is really high it has more weight if the spread is really low it has less weight so if players change in a way that changes how judges judge it and change how the spread works it changes how the judging system puts those scores together this gets so complicated but the main point is that we change based on the last tournament then the players also change. And so when the new system and the new pl- player mentalities operate together, interact for the first time, new things happen that we couldn't have foreseen. So exactly what you said, like players change while the judging systems change and there's going to be constant iteration that's going to necess- necessitate new changes. That's just like the way it goes. So like at Frisbeer, people were still kind of in the old judging system mindset and they were playing very execution focused and not very phrase and difficulty focused. People saw how valuable extra phrases were at Frisbeer, started putting in way more phrases at FPAW, and now maybe the phrase part needs to be nerfed. <laughs> so so like so it's always gonna be this chicken egg, I don't know what the right word is, but back and forth between how people play and how the system operates. Yeah, this is for a future podcast, but I think the right cadence is two worlds. That's how often we should change it after two every, worlds. Every two years, there should be changes. Yeah. So I, this is another podcast. Like idea. a big up. There's like big updates and small updates, but that's the big update. So I've been trying to come up with ways to prevent, this is like so antithetical to you, but ways to prevent people from abusing the system. So I thought about <laughs> like you have these categories and then every year, Every maybe even every day or right before every round, 
you basically have random number generators determine the weight of each category. <laughs> so, so it's like you have no idea how much difficulty your AI is going to matter until the round starts. And it's like, well, okay, the... this is a great point. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think a great exercise is people should tell me their ideas and I'll tell you how to break them because you want to make rules that aren't so easily broken. Like that makes a better rule. Yeah. But like what I would do is I'd build four routines that all optimize for one category. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that you're actually so right. That's true. Like, that's a big part of it. Oh, man, it raises a lot of other complicated issues. But actually, this has been on the back of my mind, so I'm going to bring it up now. I think a lot of people are going to listen to this and be like, what are you guys talking about? I just put a routine together. I don't really think that much <laughs> about it. And I go out and I play and what happens, happens. So my first response to that is actually you don't. Like, the way you play is determined by kind of like, a social, social cultural <laughs> yeah. norm like you play the way you play because you've watched routines for the past 10 years and like those routines have been informed by the system top players are often more informed by the system than lower players like everyone is influenced by the judging system whether they realize it or not it's so, like if you pretend you don't like you may believe that you don't play based on the system but you do to a certain extent whether you're aware of it or not but two and this is kind of like a counter to what i just said at least for me, and I think this is true even for you, there are other norms that determine how people play that have nothing to do with the judging system, but just like you've, I think half heartedly, half jokingly, but also very seriously talked about having a system that was entirely execution based. And I think it was partially in protest to the old system. You're like, all that matters is execution. So let's just, let's just legitimize it and be like, all your score done is execution. And I would always get so mad. I'd be like, well, what, I'm just going to go out there and delay it for three minutes and have a perfect execution score. And you're like, yeah, that's basically how it is now. And, and here's my point. I would never do that because I have a social norm and a personal value system where I'm like, I'm not going to go out there and do something I think is stupid. So like at the end of the day, no matter what system you have, I'm going to try to do a triple spinning barrel guidance because I think it's really cool and it's exciting and I want to do it. It's like, even if you punished me, took away points for doing it, <laughs> I would probably do it anyways because I'd rather have a routine that I'm excited about than a routine that beats a really stupid judging system. So it's a balance, like you are influenced by the judging system, whether you know it or not. But at the same time, I recognize like myself that 95% of what I, I don't know what the number is, 85% of what I would put in a routine is what I would put in no matter what the judging system was. Yeah, we'll have a long discussion about abuse routines and like, <laughs> I'm only at like 50% abuse right now. Imagine if I could find a partner that would let me do a hundred percent abuse routine. Okay, okay. Let me have. Let me put one pot or one <laughs> statement about the abuse routine because you always call it that, and it's given me so much trouble in my life because people misinterpret it. But our version of the abuse routine is like early analytics for any other sport. When you learn about what it is, you're like, really? That's it? It's so simple. So to give an example, in basketball, there's something called Mori Ball, which this will shock you only became popularized in the last 10 or 15 years. So this is very recent and like a hundred years of playing this sport only in the last 10 or 15 years have people figured this out. Someone, Daryl Morey, I mean, other people, I'm way oversimplifying. Sorry, basketball fans. Someone was like, Hey, I couldn't help but notice that there's a three point line and that three points is worth 50% more than two points. And yet when people take three point shots, the percentage that they make those shots is not 50% less than when they take two pointers. So let me make it simpler. 
if the average player's two-point efficiency was 45%, so they make 45% of their two-point shots, their three-point efficiency might be 38%. So they were 6% worse at making three-point shots, but they got 50% more points for it. So someone was like, hey, like, let's just take more three-pointers. They're worth way more. And they did that, and it turns out it was extremely successful. Now, there's a lot more complexity in it, but like, that's the basics of it. It's that simple. Like, Three points is worth more than two. That was our abuse routine. We were like, hey, there's 15 time blocks. Most people throw away the first five to 10 of them because they're building up to their hard moves. And they put all their hard moves in the same time blocks. And we were like, hey, that's really dumb. They're not getting points for their hard moves. And they're throwing away the first five to 10 time blocks they have. Let's do hard moves the whole time. So like at, the, at the end of the day, our abuse routine was like, let's do hard moves. Let's execute them. And like, let's play to good music. Like it was that simple. And people think we had like a computer out and we're like crunching the numbers on like the value of every single move, which couldn't be further than from the truth. Yep. I think, go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) Maybe you should go. I was just like, the abuse routine is like a name, but it has a negative connotation, unfortunately. Like abuse is not the word it, I mean, it's like very accurate, but it's not what it means. It's like not actually true. This is true in all the other sports too. Like there's a negative connotation to strategy, analytics, data. Like anytime people think you're taking away from like the love of the game by thinking about it too much, there's negative consequences to that. And that's true in all the sports that I follow. And it's funny how it's like kind of true in freestyle, but there is a beautiful simplicity to it. And it could be the main takeaway of this podcast if you're listening to it for strategic purposes. No matter what the system is, I shouldn't say no matter what, but in general, no matter what the system is, do hard moves, execute them well, play as a team, play to the music. Like it's that simple. You don't have to go too crazy to realize that those things matter basically under any conceivable system that we would actually implement. So we can complain. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, then tell me more. Because you can only do you have limited resources. Like time is a limited resource. You can't do everything you want to do. You have to pick and choose and you should pick and choose some things over other things. And based on what is effective and reliable, I'm going to choose those things to get more points. So maybe this is my response, which is that so many teams, maybe all of us are so far away from maximum value that all the decisions they could conceivably make could be better. So I agree that in a world with the, imagine two teams, both teams have the best players of all time times a hundred, and they can literally do anything in any way at any time on command with perfect execution. Those teams would have to consider very deeply the value of each category because they could basically just assign points and be like, let's do all these things because we can do them perfectly and figure out what gets us most points. But for most teams, when I look at the routines, I'm like, okay, you had a speed flow right there. You caught it under the leg. I have a thousand better things you can do than that. Do the exact same thing. Make it a guidance. Can you add a spin? Add a spin. Like there, there's the times where I have to make a decision. It's rarely here are two equally good options. What does the judging system tell me to pick? It's always here's an option that's better in difficulty, better in variety, better in teamwork, better if it's like this is going to give me more points in every category. So I'm going to do this. It's very rarely 
oh, I'm going to lose points in AI if I do this. But if I do this other thing, I'm going to lose points in diffs. Like it's very okay. rarely there is a trade-off, if that makes sense. Okay, I agree with that. We're like at the point where there's always a better option all around. Yes. Okay. And like, I don't know, I, I feel like I could do that for the team. When people are like, there's no, at the, for no team, I'm, I'm going to go out and say this. There is no team that's playing right now that is actually dealing with the trade-off between AI and difficulty. They can only gain. Like they can make decisions that will help them in both categories. I've okay. never seen a team where I'm like, ugh, I see the problem. Like you were deciding between AI and difficulty <laughs> and you had to choose one. I'm like, no, I could have found a way to do both. Okay, maybe I'll take this even farther. Let's say you're practicing for worlds. You like fly out to meet the person and you're in the same place. If that's the first time you talk about the judging system, it's already over. Like all your decisions have been made. There's only like, there's nothing you can do at that point. What you should have been doing is one year before that, you look at the judging system and you see if I practice for five minutes a day, what should I practice? And if you were to practice for whatever is going to get you the most points, I think that's, that's where you should be like, what is worth the most weight? Hmm. I don't know. I agree with you if everyone was 10 times better than they are now, but under the no, current I think, system, I don't see it. No, the, I think if you could get, if you learn one more move, for next year i think what move you learn matters if you're trying to win your first world championship so that's interesting i think about this a little bit so like we've talked about this i don't know about on the pod but look i've won a lot i don't care that much about winning anymore and even when i did i learned i was always driven to learn what i was interested in learning like it wasn't valuable enough to plan what i learned around worlds i think that's true for most people if not everyone Maybe you'll accept me, <laughs> okay. except for you. But at the same time, I'd say like three weeks before worlds, I'm thinking about what I have to do at worlds and making sure that's an old person because really that's what I do now, but that's not what I did before I won. Yeah. I mean, I think again, like talking about the abuse routine, what me and you would do is we'd have some co-op we'd build and let's say there was like one element of it, like there was a kick brush. It was like, okay, there's a kick brush here, just a basic kick brush. Can we make that a soul brush? Yes. Is it more difficult? Yes. Is it harder? Yes. But is like the reduced value of an execution worth the increased cost of diff? Like, yes. Okay, let's do it. Now, that sounds super analytical, but it wasn't that. You people do that all the time. Like, can I do something that's harder? that but easier like if it's harder but easier we put it in every time the problem so. is people are doing mental math based on the weights of the category but that's not the right way to think about it that's well, why that, they want to know the weights they have to like know they have to know the details you can't think about it at high level like that but see me and you we didn't like assume a number and like multiply it by our probability of catching it but like here's why we're like 1.0 version and it's not until the sport is way more developed that people would be 2.0 version our version was easier easier but more difficult which sounds like an oxymoron but it was always this move gets a higher difficulty score but we are more confident hitting it and like we just iterated that over and over and over again like here's the co-op can we replace it with something that'll get a higher difficulty score that's easier for us to execute and we just did that until the routine was better you're assuming they know how to calculate what gets more diff points that is a complex because it goes through that pipeline of 
can you like you only control that first part of does the players do it then the judge has to see it it's funny but that part of it is i like your like one two three four part of this and i wish i'd known it ahead of time so i could use it better but that's like a part three problem right like i'm not thinking about how the judging system assigns weight to things when i'm figuring out how much difficulty i'll get for things i'm thinking about based on doing this for a long time what kinds of scores do i see judges give so this is a, a judging issue meaning like i know that judges are really good about giving high difficulty scores for spinning catches so like if i can turn this non-spinning catch into a spinning catch i should do so that's not me guessing or calculating the weight of difficulty. That's me knowing that judges value that. So again, like that's just making the point that it's that's not about the judging system. That's about knowing what judges do. Like that's a raw score problem, not a okay. judging system problem. Okay, I get it. Yeah. But X X was the part where people got wrong. Like X was the thing where people didn't understand the old system and they even when they thought they were, they underestimated X. Like they did not realize that every time they dropped it, they lost a position in the rankings. So it's like, cool, I know you want to do that idea that you think is cool. The problem is if you drop it, you lose. So that that was really, I didn't like that about the old system very much. But also I should say, like we obviously didn't mind the old system. Like we had no problems <laughs> winning under the old My system. My whole game is tailored around the old system. Yeah, like the only stat that matters is in the finals for twenty for the points run. I had one drop every nine minutes of routine time. Like that's the only stat that mattered for me. Well, this should be a whole other podcast. But recently, oh, you had a reminder. Alexa, stop. <laughs> uh, recently, I went back and watched our twenty seventeen pairs. Not super proud of that routine. I never really was, but we weren't nearly as skilled as we are now. But here's what I wanted to say about it. I think people would assume that I carried that round based on reputation, but I didn't. I think you were the better player. In 2017? Yeah. Go watch it. It was really you who won that title. It's kind of cool to think about. I don't know. I was just like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like Ryan completely dominated this round. I should go back and watch. I know afterwards... The first thing you said was like, you're a beast. And like, that made me feel so good. I was like, the goat just called me a beast. You, you carried us to that round. Anyways, that's an aside. Um, oh, I just, I have so many thoughts about the judging system. What, what else do we have to cover though? Uh, we still didn't cover variety. We got sidetracked. Okay, sorry. All right. We're good. We're good. We're not even at three hours yet. We're fine. Talk about okay. variety. Okay. So... The Okay, so the biggest thing about variety is what I expected didn't happen. So I thought before Frisbeer that variety was going to be a huge part of your score, but it only mm-hmm. ended up being 15%. There's like multiple reasons why that happened. Like one, the linear. You just kind of like forget how weak linear scales. Yeah. It's not very effective. It's also in a place where even though it's a whole judge's job, it's not like one third of your score. Like we don't yeah. just multiply it up to like be one third of your score. And the raw scores for variety are not that reliable. It kind of everyone has everyone, it has the same problem where everyone gets between a five and a six. Like I don't know why that happens, but I'm guessing it's 
like everyone recognizes the common moves and the uncommon moves get missed or something like that. I don't know. That's my theory. I actually would say the opposite. I think the uncommon moves are the ones people hit. <laughs> okay. Subtle differences people miss. But here's actually another point that I meant to make that I haven't, that hasn't come up yet. There's a real world difference in spread among categories. So what I mean by that, I said earlier that I think oftentimes the winning routine at a world championship, um, actually it shouldn't be a world. Let's take like a normal tournament where there's, you know, 10 teams, very different skill levels. The best team in that tournament will be a hundred times better in difficulty than the worst team. Do they have a hundred times better music choreography? <laughs> Probably not. Like, do they have a hundred times more variety? No, like they don't even do a hundred moves. So like, how could they be a hundred times better than the worst team when they only have a hundred moves in the whole routine and the other team had 30? So it's like some categories you would expect to have higher spreads than others. A better example is execution. Sometimes the teams have very similar execution scores and so there's not much of a spread. And I think it turns out that the difference, the differences between the best teams and the worst teams in terms of variety is not that high. Yeah, okay. Like the best you can do is you can have twice as much variety based on the current scores we see. Like usually the best teams might have like 80 increments and the worst teams have like 40. Yeah, I don't know, like adjust that however it is in real life, but like that's basically it. I wasn't even thinking that far ahead. I was more like, I judge variety in the comfort of my home and I like replayed the video so I could get it accurate and it was not close. So I think what judges maybe, had. yeah, to the raw yeah. score. So I think maybe that's a problem. That's like a problem with the judging system. I believe that and that subtlety is a big problem there. I mean, it happened, like I keep bringing this up but it's funny, I'm not as bitter about it as I sound. Like. I spun two different directions for my double spinning catches and not only did nobody notice, I was penalized for it because people thought I was spinning the same direction. So that's like a classic problem with variety. It's like you can do something that's intended to be like symmetry and mirroring, but you get penalized for it because everyone thinks you just did the same thing again. Mm -hmm. Wait, I'm going to defend our variety change <laughs> before we move on. Okay. Like when we did the test in the judging committee, we all had very similar scores, but I never went back to see if that similar score was the correct score. Yeah. Like that, that we've missed that verification. Well, I mean, to be clear, it doesn't matter if it's absolutely accurate as long as it's relatively accurate. I didn't know if it was relatively accurate. Yeah. So I, I, I understand that and I'm not, this doesn't necessarily apply to variety, but it's a point that I do think is important. So it doesn't matter if the judge is in real time get the variety score completely right, as long as the relative scores are roughly accurate. So maybe I say team A has 30 and team B has 40, but it turns out team A had 50 and team B had 55. And it's like, okay, I was way off on the absolute number, but I was pretty close on the relative number that team B was like 10% better, 15% better than the team before. It's like, and we experience this as judges all the time where it's like, I gave that team a five, you gave that team a two. That's fine as long as the next team, I gave it a six and you gave it a three. So it's like we kept our own scales. So like, mm -hmm. then there's more nuance to that, especially when it's nonlinear, but like we can talk about it yeah. another time. I'm also gonna add some defense in the, the spread, like thinking. It's like when you're practicing or building your routine, you should be thinking about how can I separate myself from the, from the pack? Like yeah. 
to win, I need to be better, but I need to be better by a lot more. Like I want to be better in the most way possible. And then you look at the judging routine and be like, how can I get more points to make the spread bigger? And that's how I look at. No. And yeah, that goes to my point a lot. And it goes to your, I think it's your reliability part of thinking about a judging system, which is I can reliably be twice as good as a team in difficulty, but I can't reliably be twice as good in music. In, yeah. And here's another thing too. It's like some categories, the better freestylers can always outperform the worst freestylers. But in some categories, the level of skill you have at freestyle doesn't correlate necessarily to that category. And music choreography is a good example. And obviously you can quibble with this, but I just mean it's all relative the best player is going to win. The best players are going to win diff. Like good players just can't suddenly be great players and crush in difficulty, but not so good players can build incredible music choreography. Right. I mean, they could be two classically trained dancers with incredible <laughs> skill and musicianship who within the limited abilities of their freestyle skill hit incredible music choreography. Now, obviously you can talk about how the, ability to do difficult freestyle within the context of music as part of your music choreography choreography score. That's fine. That's probably true. But also like we have another category for that called difficulty. So you should be careful about bleeding difficulty into the music choreography. But again, the point is that like, cause I tell this to judges all the time. I'm like, Hey, this is a low seated team, but guess what? They crush variety. So give them a high variety score. Like it doesn't matter that they had lower skill the best team here did all high Z clock and this team, although they're far less skilled, they had everything you could have wanted them to do. So I think that is important to some degree. Okay. All right. So summing up variety, I think it's not very effective and it's not reliable. So well, I'll, <laughs> I'll counter it a little bit by saying variety is easy to implement without taking on additional risk. It depends on who you are. Like this is easier for me to say than other people. But like, here's the, this is so unfair. Like I'm using myself as an example here. When I build a routine, I'm like, how much clock do we have? I'll just do this thing counter because it doesn't matter to me. So it's like, that's a really easy change for me to make a lot of the time to be like, I can do the same thing as counter. And now I got more variety than I would have gotten before. But again, like that's, there's a, another version of that for most players. Like, even if you're not as skilled, it's like, Hey, I just did a flamingo. I'm going to do a chair now. I didn't add a lot more risk, but I did get a little bit of variety. So in that sense, variety has some value or at least you're not punished for adding it. So if you're not losing anything, you might as well do it. Okay. I agree. Okay. Should we move on to AI? Yeah. Okay. So I think this is the worst one of all the, out of all the categories. It's like neither effective or reliable. And you so caused a lot of problems by saying that AI didn't matter. So please explain to everyone what you meant by that. Okay. So the first thing it's linear. So you're just like your eight is an eight and yeah, I think that's all the math. So there's three, three subcategories in AI. I'm only talking about music, teamwork and form. It's funny so that we both always forget what they are, but continue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's the only three categories I'm talking about. They're linear. They, oh wow, there's so many things. Okay, I'm trying to think of all the effective points. I think that's it. In effectiveness, it's just linear. And we, you touched on this where 
all the teams get between a five and a six just because there's like human bias. I'll talk about that. Continue. (laughs) And it's, yeah, okay, we'll keep going. Let's wait, try and do that, translate that first. Okay, so first, the like it's the opposite of what we said with diff. So, like, the incremental value of getting a seven over a six is not worth that much. So, like, even though that is a it takes a lot to get a seven over, it's let me pause. It takes a lot of work to do one point better than the other teams in AI, but you only get one point more for it. Versus in diff, if you get one more point than everyone else, it's worth a lot, and that's kind of a problem. But you, you didn't mention this, but I we've talked about it, so I'm going to add it. The AI scores are hard to predict, so you may okay. think you have a higher music score or form score, but the judges are going to have very random scores for them, so you can't count good. on getting that was a my follow-on point. Yeah, but you we'll just cover it now. Like this, we cannot say enough. Sometimes some categories we see no agreement on the scores. So, and there's nothing we can do about that. You can say music is the most important thing in the world, but the problem is there's going to be nine judges and they're all going to think differently about it. And because they think differently about it, the scores are going to wash out. So, and let me make the spread point because it relates to this. If every team has a low spread, as we said, between five and six, the score doesn't matter very much. Low spread means low weight. If scores are random, meaning one judge gives you a nine and another judge gives you a one, when they average them, all the teams are going to have similar scores. So take a podium. There's three teams. A third of the judges thought team one should win. A third of the judges thought team two should win. A third of the judges thought team three should win. When that happens, all those teams end up with the same score. And so music doesn't matter. So again, low spread doesn't matter. Random scores leads to similar scores. When they're averaged, leads to low spread, leads to doesn't matter. So even though AI can be built to matter, we can give it a million times multiplier. But if every team has a five, it doesn't matter. Like we cannot make it matter more. Okay. I agree with everything you said, except for that last phrase. Like there are things we can do. Okay. Like, I mean, well, my, my, I was very careful. I know what you, okay. My example actually was true. If all the teams had a five, you could multiply it by a million and it wouldn't matter. But okay. what Ryan will tell you is that if one team had a 5.2, another team had a 5.3, and the other team had a 5.4, then we could do a multi- million time multiplier and those tiny differences would matter a lot. No, no, but, I mean, that part, that part, that's okay. The part of there's things we can do to make it not even, it can be one team gets consistently ones and the other team gets consistently nines. In music. Like, yep. How would you do it? Like, it doesn't, no, I'm just saying we can do it. But, but how would you? How would you? I'd have to think about it because it's really hard. See, but I'm, it, I'm like gonna easy one is, for that. You would be okay. like, how many music hits did they get? Exactly. That's a perfect way to... I, I see. This is where me and you really diverge. So I'm going to do this for you. What Ryan would be like is be like, count the number of music cues. And in your mind, that would be really clear. How many of them did they hit? And were they within you know, 43 milliseconds of hitting it? Whatever. I'm like, I'm exaggerating what you would do. And you would count those. But... What's funny about that is that the very people you'd be trying to appease to the artistry music camp, they would be appalled that you simplified it into like how many obvious hits did you do? And they'd be like, no, it's about like playing slow and the music slow and playing fat and like things that are way <laughs> subtler. That's my line. <laughs> okay. It would be like way subtler than that. And so it, I don't think it would work very well. 
But I mean, this goes to your, it's hard to make a rule set. Music is one of the most subjective parts of what we do as freestylers. And so not surprisingly, it's the hardest thing or one of the hardest things to distill into numerical scores and people don't agree about them. It's literally the most artistic part about it. Some people like Pollock, some people like Picasso. It's hard for us to make sure that the quote unquote best team, which there isn't, is gonna consistently get higher scores in because people are not gonna agree about who's the best musical team. All right, I have an extreme example. Has anyone been to a dance competition? Because you would think that's where, if anywhere in the world, they have it figured out, right? Because there's only music. That's the only category. Okay, how do they do it? They don't. They have the craziest system, and it's all reputation-based. You go, and based on... Okay, first of all, like, competitions... Uh, there's so many crazy things, but here's the, here's the, the craziest piece. Competitions will give out awards, and there's like six tiers now. And this competition will say in the description, when you register, we're only giving out this award and higher. Mm -hmm. So like all competitions have this. You go there and you do whatever you do on stage and you're guaranteed like whatever, high silver. Like that's the lowest you can do. And like whoever is the best gets like high gold. It's just like a farce. But how do they decide who gets high gold versus just high silver? There are judges just like we have, and no one agrees on anything. And then they just give out the awards. And if you give a famous dance group too low a score, too low a medal, they will never come back to your competition. But this is actually a good time to bring this up. So your reputation matters so much to your score. Should Mm -hmm. it? Probably not, but it does. And here's where... I think I start, and this is something I've changed a lot on from talking to you and looking at scores. The more abstract and subjective a category is, the more your reputation matters. So if there's not something that people can point to and be like, look, it doesn't matter who they are, that triple barrel guide is, is easier than that under the leg. It's harder than that under the leg. They deserve a higher score. Like, look, they did more kinds of moves than the other team. They deserve more. If it's music, just look at the seating or look at the player's lifetime rating, and you can predict before they even step out on the field what their score is going to be. And like that is the only thing that is consistent about these categories is it's based on your reputation. And okay. don't get me started. I was so pro general impression. But that is one of the biggest problems with general impression. I was going to bring that up when we got to general impression. Yeah. So we'll come back to this. But this is why if you're really pro one of these categories that's really subjective, you should be careful. Because as much as we want to value these things, if we can't at least pretend we're measuring something objective, it's going to turn into reputation. And yeah, reputation is such a problem. Because it's in our sport, it's not just your skill level, which that's problematic. But at least it's kind of earned. But it also is part of the politics of all of this. Of like, if people don't like you, you don't do well. Or if people, for whatever reason, don't think you should win, you're not going to win. Exactly. Okay. And so, okay, but we're still in AI. So there, I don't think there's much more to say about it 
other than like it's subjective, it's ranking based, it doesn't matter very much. One thing to point out, because some people are kind of forgetting this, they're really upset that AI doesn't count enough, but they're forgetting that the old AI was split into three different categories, variety, general impression, and AI, or artistry is what we're calling it now. So actually artistic impression under the old system now counts more than it ever did before. It was about like 50 to 60% in real life, like looking at the data, it was about like 50 to 60% of your total score. But the reason why it sounds like it's lower than it used to be is because it's been split up into three pieces, variety. You have to be careful here because the the amount of your total score doesn't really matter. It's all no, about no, the I, spread. I mean, yeah. like if, if I add up each, because like when yeah. I, I, and we should probably talk about this at some point, we, I looked at the spreads of each category for the finals and worlds. I, I did the whole analysis and I found the weight of each category and I did it for every round. Then I, I looked at on average, like what each category was. And it was not surprising at all. It was like diff was between like 20 and 30 AI was like 18 to 20 and the other categories were like 15%. And so I'm just saying that if you add the weight of variety at 15%, AI at like 20% and um, what's general impression at 15 to 20%, you get like 50 to 60% is artistic impression. And when I say that, I mean, under the old system, artistic impression included variety, general impression, what's now called artistry. So like it counts more now if you combine those three categories. Okay. Count more is like such a dangerous phrase because <sighs> you're not saying weight, you're saying has more points, <laughs> which is completely different. Well, I just mean if, if you tell people yeah. right now that the category artistry counted for about 20% of the total spread between teams, they would be like, that's outrageous. I can't believe artistry counts for so little. It's only 20%. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, okay, it's 20%. But then there's another category called general impression that used to be under artistry. That's another 15%. And then there's another category called variety that was also under artistry before that's under artistry now. That's all I'm saying. Okay. That, that makes sense that way. Like what's hard is the words are ambiguous in a dangerous way. I know mm -hmm. well, it's all dangerous because people don't understand it. And there's only so much I can do about it. But, but I'll put it in a slightly simpler way. If you are complaining that music doesn't count enough, remember that under the old system, music was one sixth of artistic impression. And that was whatever, 40% of your total score. I mean, really it was probably 10% because it was all execution, but I'm just saying like it, it was a very small part of the old system and it, it's probably a bigger part of the new system, even though it's still small. Hard to say. Hard to, in any case, they were small under both systems. Okay, the other ball, small under both systems. That's what I wanted to say. It doesn't matter in either. Okay, and again, when you say it doesn't matter, it doesn't mean it literally contributed not at all to the spread between teams, but you just... Negligible. It's just not very important. Now, I don't want to talk about form because form's its own mess, but that's another great example of no one agrees on what good form is. The old judging system, I think, went out of its way incorrectly to be like, pointing toes is not the only way to have good form. I'm like, well, like, what other ways can you identify <laughs> that are good form? Like, there are plenty, but I'm just saying, like, it's okay for us to say some form is better than other form, but the old judging manual wasn't willing to do that because they didn't want to offend people. And so it was like, there's a thing called form, but we're not going to tell you what it is. 
And so what happened? Forum was entirely reputation-based. It still is. Like, let me think of somebody to pick on. He's he's just our punching bag, but we love him. People give Paul Kenny great form scores. Paul Kenny will be the first one to tell you he doesn't have great form. Like, he doesn't have the flexibility to have good body form. He just, he he does an incredible job with what he has available. But like, if you compare his form to Kubana, like Kubana should crush him, but they're going to get similar form scores because they have similar reputations. Like that's the problem. That's another example of a category that I would love to value. I personally care a lot about having good form, but it turns out it's judged entirely on reputation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is that it for yep. AI? Okay. So the last one is, general impression yep okay so under the effective and reliability it's actually both effective and reliable but not how people want it because it's heavily based on re reputation and your seed so mm -hmm. those are the two highest factors actually maybe it's okay so let's say there's top three factors the first one is your execution so if you go dropless no matter if you had like the worst diff that's going to be exciting and you're going to get a high general impression score mm -hmm. the next one is your seating and then your reputation because the last team coming out is always the most exciting you you have all the context like the story is set and you're watching the finale like it's just like the story arc is very resonant with like the human brain and that last team you expect to be the best and they're just going to get more general impression because there's no rules like the i think it even says something about taking into account how loud the crowd cheers and the crowd is going to cheer the loudest they're they have the same problem where they're like the story arc here's the finale i expect it to be the best and they're going to cheer louder okay i agree with a lot of that i disagree with some of it so one going back to music i actually think general impression is where you get the most music points if you have good music and you hit it and get the crowd fired up you'll get more points and the general impression category whether the judges realize it or not than in the music choreography category and again, this goes to bleed. Sometimes the things you care about, they're measured in five different categories. So look at it in the aggregate. Don't look at the one part where it's supposed to count and say, that's what I'm looking at. So if you want to understand music, look at general impression too. It's very reputation-based. It's very seating-based. But there's other things. So, And I did a complete 180 on this. So I will briefly tell the story. If you asked me before Worlds, I was saying, I want an all general impression system. And even when the new system was implemented, I said, I think when this is all said and done, general impression scores will almost perfectly correlate to the final score. And so we can ditch all this complexity and just show general impression. I was wrong. It turns out that general impression scores don't correlate to the final rankings meeting. A lot of times the team that wins does not have the highest general impression score. So it's not that we can abandon this complexity without any consequence. It changes the scores, whether it's better or worse. I don't know. But I'm just pointing out that general impression doesn't perfectly correlate to the rankings of the teams. There are other problems with general impression that I was kind of educated on at Worlds this year by a few people that talked to me about it. One is this kind of, it's the popularity aspect of reputation, which is, I think, worse than the skill part. So it's already bad enough to reward people because they have a history of being skilled, regardless of how they perform. Like, But at the very least, you can be like, okay, well... Like they are really good. So is it so bad that we give them more points? But the reputation thing is really bad to be like, okay, everyone likes this person. So we're giving them a higher general impression score. 
or on the crowd noise thing, it's like this tournament is in Durham. So I'm going to get a huge crowd out here and all my Durham guys are going to be screaming for me the whole time. So it's going to, I'm going to have a way better audience reaction score than everyone else. Is it because I'm playing better or because I invited 50 of my best friends to the tournament? Like unclear. Okay. Oh, I missed. There's one more. There's a top four. It's how did the team, did the team overperform? So that is a big part of general impression, but it's really hard to plan to overperform. So it's not reliable at all. And this is another problem we've been talking a lot about and we don't necessarily have an answer for, although I have like a leaning, I guess, which is general impression does reward you a, a lot for overperforming and punishes you a lot for underperforming. So what we mean by that is if you're one of the, it's actually easier to do the opposite. If you're one of the worst teams, lowest seated team, least skill level, but you go out there and you have the round of your life, you are going to have incredible general impression because people are so amazed watching you overperform and there's so much of a surprise that it gets a wild reaction. So like this is easy to imagine. Like imagine two eight-year-olds are in the open pairs finals and they instead of being terrible like you would expect, totally crush. Maybe they're only catching under the legs, but they're hitting their moves, they're hitting on the the crowd would go insane. They'd be like, this is incredible. This is a viral TikTok video. It's so exciting. But does that team deserve to win the world championship? They're not the best team. They just wildly overperformed. And on the flip side, we see this happen a lot. And I think it's the cause of a lot of times where people feel like the results are unpleasant. I'm not even saying unfair, but like unpleasant is the best team underperforms, but they're still the best. So like the players are really good, but they don't play to their highest level, but their average level is still better than everybody else. So under the categories of difficulty and AI, well, put AI aside, like difficulty, variety, execution, they still have the highest scores, but it feels bad because everyone was let down based on their expectations. And so th that's like a risk of general impression. If it was like all that we counted is that better teams would lose if they underperformed. But there's definitely an argument that's like, if all you care about is the art side of this, it's justifiable to say, hey, if this routine is more exciting, I don't care why it's more exciting, it should win. But then it's a very different kind of contest. Like then it is like an art contest. It's like, is a Pollock painting more technically skilled than like a Rembrandt? No, he splatters paint on the canvas. But do a lot of people like Pollock a lot better than Rembrandt? Absolutely. So I, I don't know if there's a right answer to it, but for me, I'm like, I think it's enough of a sport that a, a system that's working for me is one where in general, the better teams playing better win. And again, that last part is critical. Better teams playing better win. They might still underperform, but if they're a better team that played better, they should win. Like that's kind of my view. But I, I, I do legitimately understand the view that like, I don't care how well they, I don't care if they're better and played better. I care about how it made me feel and like some other team might make you feel better. Okay. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Okay, I was going to say, this is why judging systems are so complex. 
Jeff's general impression has all the problems of all everything we described. So like general impression gets those gets its majority of its points from those four things I talked about. What's so confusing is you can maximize one of those four to get a high general impression score, but another team can maximize a different one of those four points to get a similarly high general impression score. So it can you can have like a pool that has all very similar general impressions that got their points from those different one of those four points. Like they one team could have gotten it from seeding, another team could have gotten it from overperforming, another team could have gotten it from something else. But they all have the same general impression. But when you look at this, when you like think back and you're looking at the scores, you're like, they did not all play the same. But that's why it's so hard. That's a good point. And it actually relates to a phenomenon we've seen with general impression. And it's new because of the way we judge it. So general impression, as far as I know, is the first category under this FPA system, looking back the last like 40 years, that all nine judges gave a score for. And one thing that we've seen, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, Ryan, is that the general impression scores correlate by pan by category, but not necessarily by panel. So even though general impression, we tell judges, judges however you want. Mention that. Yeah. It doesn't matter that you're the difficulty judge or the variety judge or whatever. Judge this general impression however you want. When you look at the scores, all the variety scores all the variety judges give similar general impression scores and all the difficulty judges give similar general impression scores, but they're not the same as each other. Meaning the variety judges give general, different general impression scores than the difficulty judges. And you could say, well, whatever we do, the difficulty judges are going to see variety or sorry, I'm, we're talking too long. I'm losing my brain. You could argue that the difficulty judges are seeing general impression through the lens of difficulty, and that's why they're giving that score. I actually think that's wrong. I think what happens is there's a lot of groupthink on judging panels, and each category is a little group <laughs> of three. So you have three different categories, three groups, variety, artistry, difficulty. Those groups are pretty independent of each other, and they groupthink, and they all come up with their own groupthink answers, and they're usually different. So there's like a pretty big variance in general impression scores based on the different groups of judges. Okay, I agree. Okay. Okay. Oh, can I say one more thing I about think that was, general impression? We broke down. Okay. We broke yeah. down every category, but I just want to add one more thing, which it applies to all of them, but it applies especially to general impression in the artistry categories. I beg judges every tournament to use the spread. And I want to be careful. Sometimes the teams are similar and you should give them the same scores. It is conceivable that every team has a similar variety score, for instance. And if you want to give all fives and sixes because they're legitimately the same and you don't think they should be distinguished on that category, that's fine. But usually the teams are very different in each category. But judges, partially, I think, from the politics, don't want to give low scores. So this happens to me every tournament. It happened to me with a member of the judging committee. And I was like, I cannot believe this is happening. It's a seated round. The first team goes up and I say, what general impression score did you give that team? A five. And I said, really? There's seven more teams left and you're starting at five. And the judge was like, yeah, yeah, you know, like maybe I'll change it, but I'm giving it a five. And the problem with doing that is if you don't use the whole scale like we talked about, 
you're going to reduce the spread and reduce the impact of that category. So if you care about the category you're judging and you think it should matter for affecting the team scores and you give every team between a five and a seven, you've diminished the weight of that category by reducing the spread. So starting out at five and not giving anyone above an eight really impacts how much value that category has. I like the use of impact. It's like, I'm going to switch to impact instead of weight. Well, I, I kind of want people to know this because I think it's a tool you can use. I could be abused. So I want to be careful. Like you could really abuse this and, and, but like it assumes that judges are bad actors, which sometimes they are, but usually they're not. But like, you should ask yourself as a judge, was the category I'm judging an important distinguisher among the teams? If yes, use the entire spread, give a zero and give a 10. If no, the teams are all pretty close in that category, then fine, have them between five and eight. But I'm telling you, usually that's not true. Like usually the teams are pretty far apart. Yep. I agree. We'll get to that when we talk about like, what should the judging system be in? But like, there are ways to force spread. And yes, like normalization. We should experiment. Mm -hmm. Or just assigning places. Will you explain (laughs) what normalization is? And I'll give my one sentence about it and then we can move on. Because it's something we've talked about as an option. Yeah, you take all the teams and you sort them. So the bottom team gets a zero and the top team gets a 10 and everyone else keeps their relative ranking. Yeah, so no matter what, like if all the scores were between five and six, all the fives would have zeros and all the sixes would have tens. Exactly. And so one advantage of this system is that you could tell everybody and this is this is just from the math. There's it would be more nuanced to this, but you could tell everyone from day one, here's the weight of every category. Every category is between zero and ten, and the best team's gonna get a ten, and the worst team's gonna get a zero in every category. They're truly one third, one third, one third, at least vis-a-vis the top team and the worst team. I'm oversimplifying a little, but like that's an advantage, right? Yep. But here's the problem. As I said before, sometimes one category there's a big difference and other categories there's a little difference so let me give you an interesting example and i might not get this exactly right because i don't have the numbers in front of me but when i looked at the impact i'll use the word impact if i looked at the impact of every category at worlds this year let's say like in again i'm not looking at the numbers but like in the mixed pairs division difficulty had a big impact because the best teams had much higher difficulty scores than the worst teams. But in co-op, difficulty didn't have a big impact, meaning the judges perceived the routines as very similar. And so difficulty had only a 15% impact. So like round by round, what categories matter might change based on how the teams plays. And that's the problem with normalization. So to give a quick example, like suppose there are two categories, difficulty and artistry. There's two teams one team the raw scores and difficulty were zero and nine and in artistry the two teams were five and six suddenly that suddenly even though one team wildly outperformed in one category and only did a little bit better in the second category might win 
because the normalization gave them a huge advantage in the in the category where there was a low difference. This is so hard to explain without having a graph. Ryan, are you vaguely following me? Yep, I'm following. But oh, I already have my counter to that. But yeah, do you want to try and make it more clear? It's like the whole like weight spread in like a, it's the same problem with like weight and spread, but in one category. Let me make it easier by making it me and you. Because Ryan and I are, are competing in a battle okay. judged on difficulty and artistry. Ryan gets a zero in difficulty and I get a 10 in difficulty. In artistry though, we have closer scores. Ryan gets a six in artistry and I get a five in artistry. So I crushed Ryan in difficulty. I got 10 more points than him raw. No question, I destroyed him in difficulty. In artistry, it was very close. The judges gave him a six and gave me a five. If we normalized it, difficulty stays the same. Ryan gets a zero, I get a 10. But in artistry, now Ryan gets a 10 and I get a zero. So now Ryan and I would tie, even though based on the raw scores, I crushed him in one of the categories and was only a little bit behind him in the second category. Like that would be the kind of results okay. that would I think that makes a lot of sense. Up. Yeah. And what's your counter That's why that? it's hard to make rule sets, but we don't have to use the same tools for both. Like in that case, you would say diff is raw scores and artistry is normalized. Just like how we only make linear. I mean, we only use exponential in one of the categories. Yeah, but you'd have to decide in advance, right? Because I could have reversed the example, yeah. but I see what you mean. Like, and there's like lesser okay, versions here's of my that, counter. right? You, okay. Go ahead, go ahead. Okay. The Google Meet is like breaking down, so we should end this episode soon. But like, we should. Yeah, I need to put a charger in your brain. Yeah. Okay. 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 Here's the counter. You're like, disc golf is exploding. When you're at the disc golf tournament, you're not playing against the course, you're playing against your competition. Like it doesn't matter what the course is. In our case, the judging system is the course. You're playing against the course. Yeah. So it doesn't matter that you were, I mean, like this hole works this way. It's like, I played this hole a little bit better than my competitor, so give me more points. And we can just yeah. be like, when you play a little bit better, you get a lot more points and that's okay because you're playing against this, your competition, not against the judging system. That's a great analogy. And one funny thing about it is a lot of the criticisms we've gotten about the new system were system as designed. Like the system was doing exactly what we wanted it to do based on feedback. So one example is people complained that the spread among teams was really high. They were like, under the old system, it was nice. All the teams were within three points of each other. <laughs> and under the new system, they're 100 points away from each other. And we were like, we did that on purpose. Like, the old system was artificially close when the teams were actually pretty far apart. And in any case, having that separation makes results a lot clearer to look at. So, But I just thought of that right now. But it, that relates to the spread thing, right? So what a lot of people do when they assess our judging system is they say, like, hey, taking the golf analogy, like I shot a 65 at Worlds. Like, how did I not win? That is such a good score. I shot a 65. And it's like, no, no, no. It doesn't matter that you shot a 65 or 105. It matters how you did relative to the other golfers. So if you look at a golf score 
Does it say 65? No, it says minus three, plus three. It tells you how many strokes are you. Well, I, I guess I'm kind of like cheating a little bit. Like, first of all, it tells you how many strokes you are relative to the average, but the scoreboard shows you like the differences between everybody. We say like Tiger is five strokes behind the leaderboard, right? We don't say like, hey, Tiger has a 72 and the leader has a 65. We say like, he's this many strokes behind. Like that's how you have to look at like judging, like how many strokes behind are you or ahead are you and like trying to get ahead. Everything is relative. Like I can't say it enough. It's all relative. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like that. Okay. So we went okay. solid two and a half hours. I think we should wrap <laughs> this up. I don't know if we answered any questions or addressed that many specific criticisms, but hopefully we at least explained how hard this is and how flawed any system will be no matter how much you want it to succeed. Yep. All right. Take us out. Okay. I mean, I have nothing else to say. I, I hope people found this interesting, enlightening. We'll definitely have a lot more conversations about the judging system in the future. We're both super open to ideas to make the system better. And I don't think we said it so much in this episode. We said it in the past. Neither one of us particularly loves this judging system. Like it wasn't made in our image. Like we have a lot of different ideas to make it better and simpler. We were pretty bound by the old system. We're pretty bound by community pressure. We were part of a committee with a lot of other people on it. Everyone had very different opinions. It's a compromise. And sometimes compromise is the least bad of all the options, but sometimes it's also just worse than all the other options. I don't know what this is, but you know, it works pretty well. It gives us results. They're not shocking. Um, and we're happy to make it better. So I don't know. I, I just, I don't want us to be held responsible for the judging system because I feel like we are and people don't realize we don't really like it. <laughs> yep. Those are all good points. Yeah. I mean, maybe we're just, a, we do a thing that shouldn't be judged so much or like, <laughs> isn't really. We'll talk about that to... in the next, next episode. That's one of my points. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> we yeah, just didn't we, have time to get to it. It probably shouldn't be judged in a competitive format, but it is what it is. It's still fun to compete for most players. Freestyle competition is just really for all of us. It's fun. There's no money in this. There's no fame in this. It's just about bragging rights. And honestly, you get bragging rights from playing well, no matter how you place. It's great to win world titles. You don't need to. Don't let competition get you down in this sport. Like if you're playing this sport for competition, at least in my view, I think you have it wrong. I know some people, maybe even Ryan, really care a lot about the competitive aspect. But <laughs> to me, like we built competition only as an afterthought to this thing that we all love to do before it was competitive. And just don't let competition results get you down. Get caught up in this judging system stuff if it's fun for you. Like, I think it's interesting to us, Ryan, like intellectually stimulating to talk about something we love and quantifying it in different ways and imagine how it could be different. But like, this is not what it's about. We know it. Like, we're freestylers, we're jammers, we get it. But if you like this stuff, like, I hope you like this episode. And we'll have plenty more to talk about in the future. So with that, Ryan, let's call it a day. <laughs>